Good evening, good evening, everyone. Uh, thank you for your patience. We are ready to begin. Welcome uh, to the November 13th convening of the African-American Reparations Advisory Committee. I'm Chair Eric McDonald, to recognize Vice Chair Tanisha Hollins, who will co-lead this evening's meeting. As always, want to uh, express our thank you to the Human Rights Commission staff that include uh, Joel Stewart, Zach Manuel, and Jeanette Coates, John McKnight, and Amelia Martinez-Bankhead for providing technical assistance with today's meeting. Secretary Malky Meyer, announcements, please. Uh, thank you, Chair. This evening's meeting is being held in San Francisco City Hall at 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place in room 400. Members of the public can join us in person or participate remotely. Public comment will be available on each item on this agenda. Each speaker will be allowed two minutes to speak. Public people attending in person will be called to speak first, followed by those of you attending remotely. Anyone calling in, please mute your phone until asked to speak. Please use the, the um, Q&A feature to indicate you would like to participate in public comment. Excellent, thank you. Um, now I'd like to ask Vice Chair Hollins to please open tonight's meeting with our ancestral acknowledgement. We honor the gifts. There we go. We honor the gifts, resilience, and sacrifices of our Black ancestors, particularly those who toiled the land and built the institutions that established the city's wealth and freedom, despite never being compensated nor fully realizing their own sovereignty. We acknowledge this exploitation, not only of labor, but of our humanity. And through this process are working to repair some of the harms done by public and private actors. Because of their work, we are here and will invest in the descendants of their legacy. Thank you very much. And now I'll ask Member Brown to please read the Ramatushaloni land acknowledgement. We acknowledge that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatush Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all the peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland, we wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatisha community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Thank you, Vice Chair Hollins and Member Brown. Uh, Secretary Meyer, please. Next item. Item number one is call to order and committee roll call. I will announce each committee member's name and they will announce their present. James Lance Taylor. Present. Tanish Hollins. Present. Eric McDonald. Present. Reverend Dr. Amos Brown. Present. Rico Hamilton. Nicole Cunningham. Gloria Berry. Daniel Landry. Present. Tiffany Carter. Present. Thank you. Uh, Gwendolyn Brown. Present. Anita Akinem. Present. Star Williams. Shikayla Kane. 
Letitia Irving, member Irving, texted me and is running late. Uh, Freddie Martin. Okay, we don't have quorum, so we can move forward with the meeting and we will just not move forward with the action item, which is um, number two and uh, is the uh, meeting minutes. We can move that to a later date. Oh, um, member Irving, Irving just arrived, so member Irving is present. How many more do we need for quorum? Uh, we need two more for quorum. Okay. Thank you very much, Madam Secretary. I want to remind everyone that uh, this evening that public comment should be related to a specific agenda item being discussed and fall under the purview of this advisory committee. Um, committee Secretary has been directed to ask com commenters to stay on topic one time and then we'll cut the microphone off if necessary. We don't want to do that, but again, we'd ask you to adhere to those parameters. Uh, people providing public testimony should address their remarks to the committee as a whole uh, and not to individual committee members or department personnel. If you're attending in person and would like to provide public testimony, please fill out a speaker card located on the table where, to me where the meeting uh, documents are displayed to my right and to your left if you're here in chambers. Uh, Secretary Moki Meyer, please call next item. I guess we're going past the next item, but. Um, item number three is city department reports. This is a discussion item. This is time for city departments to report back on information requests from the African-American Reparations Advisory Committee. This month, representatives from the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development and the Office of Community Investment and Infrastructure will provide an update on recommendations from the final San Francisco Reparations Plan that are actionable over the next 12 to 24 months. This is a presentation from Eric Shaw, Director of the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development for the City and County of San Francisco, and Thor Kaslovsky, Director of the Office of Community Investment and Infrastructure, the City and County of San Francisco. There will be public comment on this item, followed by a committee comment. Thank you, Madam Secretary. Uh, colleagues, please join me in welcoming uh, Director Shaw and Director Kozlowski back with us this evening to update the committee on the progress their departments are making towards meeting reparations final report recommendations. Um, we will first hear from Director Shaw, followed by Director Kozlowski. And we, yes, we will um, advance the PowerPoint. Um, we're opening that PowerPoint. Um, John, can you open the other PowerPoint, 3B? Okay, thank you. There we go. Thank you. Does not sound like that mic is on. Director Shaw, I turn the microphones on now. Is it on? Oh, there, goes. there we go. Thank you. Good, good evening, members of the committee. My name is Eric Shaw. I'm the director of the San Francisco Mayor's Office for Housing and Community Development. Um, I want to thank you for taking the time for me to share with you um, some updates on the work that we've done 
on maintaining the momentum, sustaining the momentum of the work that we've had that we mentioned in our conversation with you on um, the April meeting. As a reminder, um, the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development is actually um, comprised of four divisions, the Housing Division, the Community Development Division, the Homeownership and Below Market Rate Division, and then the Finance Administration Division. Next slide. So as relates to um, some updates um, from the Housing and Production Division, um, I'm pleased to announce that 30, a project at 3300 Mission was recently awarded funding through the Acquisition Notice of Funding Availability, also known as ANOFA. Um, this development team is a partnership between Bernal, Knights, Bernal Heights Neighborhood Center, Tabernacle CDC, and Mitchellville Associates. And I believe that it is our first development team where it's all Black principals in the project right now. Um, which is meant now that not only did it receive um, funding for us for the acquisition, but because of some policies associated with the state for um, accelerating investment and in what we call emerging developers, and we believe this is going to be one of the fastest construction projects that we've had in the city. Now, it has been vacant for some time, um, but we really are excited to get the ball rolling with this one um, and for um, understanding the significance of, of this team. In addition to that, um, we had received funding. Yes, we had, in addition to that, we had received funding um, through the San Francisco Foundation for what we call Developers of Cohort Partnerships. So it's between the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development and the Urban Land Institute, which is the organization that represents um, developers throughout the throughout the world. And so we started this project, this partnership last year, and now we're in our second year of that. Um, in which um, 25 developers of color are receiving training and relationship building on how to engage the city and the market on building housing, not just affordable housing, but housing as a whole. And we've been proud to also sponsor, um, to partner um, with the housing directors of both Oakland and on San Jose on understanding the ability to scale this at a regional level. And then there's been a commitment um, on the part of ULI to fundraise for this and make this a permanent program within um, their district. Um, it's also been recognized nationally, the first of its kind, um, and they're trying to scale this to a national level. Um, in addition to that, some other professional organizations, including the American Institute of Architects, have said they want to replicate this program um, for architects of color and building up a cohort of those. In addition to that, in partnership with the planning department, um, we submitted a HUD Pro Housing Grant, um, which are resources um, to support um, planning, engagement, and strategy development around increasing access and removing barriers um, to housing opportunity. Um, there was a decision on the part of this interdepartmental um, agency to focus on um, the Western edition, and then particularly what we call HUD legacy investments, which are, um, I know Bethel AME is one where they're housing this investment through some HUD grants in the 80s, um, housing cooperatives as well. And so understanding how to focus those in the strategy, planning um, and engagement. Next, please. I'm happy to share. Also, that since our last conversation in April, we now have 41 new homeowners for the DreamKeeper DAO program. Um, last time we engaged you, it was at 20. So we've doubled that during this time. Um, we have more than 100 also that have been engaged in pre-purchase counseling. I believe 30 are actively looking for housing right now. Um, and then of those two of the folks that 
um, received homes also um, had um, public housing vouchers, which is also exciting for us in terms of our desire to reach all ranges of income from folks with vouchers all at the 200% AMI. Um, we understand now that the interest rates are very high um, and that's maybe impacting um, the ability for folks to purchase in the future, but we're monitoring that right now. And from what we've heard right now, there's still genuine interest. The costs may have gone higher for um, the mortgages, but there's still interest in the part of the cohort and in sellers in participating in this program. Next slide. Um, I believe that Director Davis is going to talk about this. Um, MoCD led the procurement for the um, identification of an operations team for Fillmore Heritage Center. And Mayor Breed announced um, that there was a team was selected on October the 19th. Um, we are currently in lease negotiations. And um, per the guidance of, of Dr. Brown, Reverend Dr. Brown, um, yesterday, the hope is to have that completed by, by quarter one, hopefully during February, if we can get all the pieces to line up together. And then there was a community listening session at Third Baptist Church yesterday on this. In addition, we've been able to um, get some momentum with the San Francisco African-American Art and Cultural District, and they're expected to complete their cultural history, housing and economic sustainability strategies report um, in 2024. So that's the guiding document that lists the programmatic priorities for the cultural district um, over the course of the five years in which it exists. And their funding still continues. Um, um, cultural districts were funded through the hotel tax. And so they received $250,000 a year for operations along with the other cultural districts. In addition to that, we are developing some new communication strategies to increase awareness in the African-American community of community development partners and programming. So we keep hearing that we post a lot of our things on the website, we rely a lot on community partners, um, but there's an understanding um, um, from you all and from we're hearing from stakeholders about the need to identify additional channels to make sure that people aware of our programs that include homeowners home of counseling, financial literacy, emergency rental assistance, um, other um, um, tenant mediation, um, tenant right to counsel are programs that we all um, administer through community development. And then finally, um, every five years, we update the HUD consolidated plan. HUD is the Housing and Urban Development Department. Um, and the consolidated plan is what dictates um, how we're able to spend our community development block grant funding. So we're in the process right now of having both neighborhood and population specific listening sessions um, to inform the drafting of that plan with the expectation of that being completed in September of next year. And so with that, um, I thank you for your time. Thank you, Director Shaw. So we will go to Director Kozlowski, then we will go to public comment, and then we will come back for committee comments and questions. Greetings, members of the uh, Operations Committee. Good to be here again. Uh, I want to thank you as a Black San Franciscans for your work that you've been doing up until now. It's a long time coming. Uh, we are your allies here in the work that we're doing, and um, we'll get something over the finish line. You know, you heard Eric Shaw talk about the work that MOHC is doing. Uh, the Office of Community Investment and Infrastructure is also doing similar work at a much smaller scale. We're a smaller agency at this point since we were dissolved in 2012. But I'll begin with, uh, if you go to the next slide. I'll begin with a, uh, an initiative called Replacement Housing. 
um, in February 2023, we worked with Mayor Breed and Senator Wiener's office to introduce SB 593, which we call replacement housing. I think it's even referred that way in the law. And this state legislation reauthorizes OCAI's ability to continue replacing the remaining approximately 6,000 units of affordable housing that the old redevelopment agency demolished during the 50s, 60s, and 70s uh, during the urban renewal days, and we were obligated by law to rebuild. In, in 2012, when the agency was dissolved, the state terminated our ability to be able to replace that affordable housing. Nonetheless, um, the bill passed uh, this year recently, and it will reauthorize the replacement housing program and allow OCAI to restart that program to right really what's a historic wrong that has contributed greatly to today's housing crisis that we have and to help the city meet its housing element goal of 46,000 units of affordable housing over the next eight years. I want to thank Mayor London Breed for her work uh, and leadership of community testimony, in particular of Maddie Scott of the Freedom West Homes and Dr. Veronica Honeycutt of the Hunters Point Shipyard Citizens Advisory Committee, who really led the community's voice in all those legislative hearings, and there were many uh, with a lot of different elected folks. We're also looking to deepen our relationship uh, with the Black Development and Contracting Community. In Mission Bay, we have 150 units of affordable homeownership that is being produced by um, an all-Black development team led by a Black-led nonprofit. Um, and so we want to deepen and try and replicate those successes uh, in the future. And coupled together with that is enhancing our Certificate of Preference program. Um, to deploy various strategies to increase housing placements from that list. And that'll include OCAI and MOACD providing first preference, of course, and 100% of all OCII affordable projects to COP holders. We've implemented a more robust and early outreach marketing program um, that is maximizing the applications and will continue to evaluate and um, try and enhance that program. We're actually introducing a survey to the COP list to see what are their, their needs in terms of development um, of the design of the buildings and also some of the support systems that they are needed. We also wanna ensure that there are opportunities at a variety of income levels, especially the very low income level, and to maximize operating rental subsidies to enhance affordability of the very low income households. We'll ensure that no displacement results from any funding of rehabilitation that we might do or replacement of new housing and it's affordable to the current residents of any housing that we um, renovate. We'll also to continue to enforce our small business contracting goals of 50%, requiring nonprofits, nonprofit developers to look for small and minority businesses to be part of OCIR projects. And OCIR has always been on the leading edge of that contracting policy for decades. Um, we'll also continue to seek input from the local development community and additional, try and find additional community centered and equitable development ideas. Most recently, we've been working with HRC um, on a C, uh, certificate of preference seniors assistance program. Uh, HRC is looking at the demographics of the certificate of preference program and there's quite a, a large senior population. They're looking especially at age to see if there's targeted assistance, um, maybe some direct financial assistance or payments that can be made and provided to this aging and vulnerable population. Um, this list is also predominantly black and we'll continue to evaluate that and work with HRC on that going forward. And that concludes our updates, thank you. Thank you very much, Director Kozlowski. Uh, Madam Secretary, if we can open public comment at this time. And again, members of community and public, um, please focus your comments on the reports made by 
our directors this evening. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Um, first, we're inviting members of the public attending in person. You can just go ahead and approach the bench and um, public comment this evening will be two minutes. Hello, Commission. And uh, I guess this question is more for Eric, Director Shaw than anything else. Um, I know that we were talking about COPs in the context of, oh, first of all, I should say, Mitch Mankin from San Francisco Housing Development Corporation. Um, so already there's a descendant of certificate of preference holders preference that exists in OCII, but uh, I'd heard also that there was were efforts to advance legislation that would make that preference apply to most CD housing as well. Um, but I just wondered if there was any updates on where that is in the process, because as I understand it, most CD needs to um, to write uh, legislation that then needs to be brought to the board. So just for your information, so public comment is only one way, not two way. Um, so we'll, we heard you. And if and as we bring directors back for our comments and questions, we'll see if we can get that addressed for you. Right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other members? I do see um, one member of the public attending in person who would like to speak. Good evening, members of the task force. Thank you for the opportunity to speak. My name is Charlie Shamas. I'm with the Council of Community Housing Organizations. We are 22 uh, mission-driven member organizations that are rooted in neighborhoods throughout San Francisco, working to prevent displacement, stabilize local communities, and to acquire and develop affordable housing. The National African American Reparations Commission defines spatial reparations as restorative and reparative geography of socioeconomic and political opportunity, particularly for those displaced and dispossessed by the legacy of institutionalized racism. It provides an important guide for the city to not only acknowledge its role in causing harm to generations to, of Black San Franciscans, but also to begin the process of redress. We know that these harms are ongoing whether they be in the efforts of Plaza East tenants to stake their claims on their homes in the face of renewed redevelopment threats, the disproportionate share of Black people among the city's unhoused population, or the displacement pressures that are imminent as a result of current citywide efforts to streamline and upzone market rate housing with marginal attention to issues of affordability. The path forward to reparations will require the city to develop and innovate a host of community-based solutions. And there are so many to choose from, whether they be acquiring the portfolios of thousands of corporate-owned multifamily housing units that are debt-ridden and evoking predatory practices on San Francisco tenants, simply making good on the public investment that our citywide housing element, the first of its kind focusing on racial and social equity demands in order to address housing insecurity in our city, making good on our promise to the voters of San Francisco who allocated our Proposition I revenues towards the creation of social housing strategies. All of this can be done with a commitment in particular to serve the needs of our city's black population and other communities of color that have been most burdened by our housing affordability crisis. The prevailing narrative is that we need housing as a mechanism to increase our wealth, and it's not necessarily seen as a mechanism for health, culture, family, community. We need policies that find the common ground between these two frameworks, and we hope to work together with the city agencies and this committee to move these and other actions forward. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other members of the public attending in person who would like to comment on this item? 
Okay, now we will move to remote public comment. I do see three hands raised. Four, we'll, talk, we'll start with C.C. Horton. Can you unmute yourself? Yes, uh, greetings this afternoon, committee. Uh, what I wanted to ask you all is regarding the housing situation is, are, are you guys thinking about, you know, what's going to happen when the next Prop 209 passes? What's going to happen when the next, you know, Supreme Court comes in and decides to go rogue? What's going to happen? Uh, because this is a history that we have as a people, as it relates to any kind of programs we get, somehow they get taken away, somehow they get brushed aside, somehow new leadership comes, some, somehow things change in, in 20 years and 30 years down the line, what people are talking about today becomes erased or a past memory. I think that's something that this committee needs to learn from and understand that this is something that our people have faced as a trend and as a historical injury that we continue to deal with. It's a challenge that's not being addressed in these programs. And what I, what I really mean by that is where's our Allen's work? Where's our self-funded community that we can invest and pay for and not have to be contended to a government structure or gatekeepers or the ruling class? Where's that? Where's, where's the entity that we can buy in and, and that we can prepare and build ourselves? I made a suggestion that the city should sell Hunter's Point to Black Americans in general, descendants of chattel slaves, and let us build that as a modern freedman city so that we can repair ourselves and welcome all descendants of chattel slaves from across the country to come and help us build, not just limit ourselves to people in San Francisco, because every descendant of chattel slaves in San Francisco came from somewhere outside of San Francisco. No one's native to this area, except if you are an Aboriginal Black American and native Black folks, which is also an issue, too, because, you know, we this is an African-American reparations committee when history shows that a lot of our people are native to this land, that we are Aboriginal Black folks to this country that we've been here way before white folks got here. That's well-documented fact. That needs to be Thank addressed. Thank you for your comments. Your two minutes has expired. Now I welcome Dennis. Can you unmute yourself? Good evening. Can you hear me? Yes, thank you. Good evening. Um, thank you, panel. Um, this is Mr. Dennis Williams of D5, uh, founder of the Fillmore Community Development Corporation, also a private real estate developer, DC Williams Development Corporation, <clears throat> Development Company, excuse me. Um, as I got an email sent by uh, one of the board, Ms. Myers, um, I see still a discrepancy. I see no, um, I see no onus, I guess, for, the, for Blacks in the real estate development, construction, and trucking in a billion-dollar uh, real estate development industry. Um, I don't know why you guys are continuing to leave that out when it's very important that we build and work in our own communities. And we're, as you know, we're behind an eight ball in that, so to speak, especially here. Um, thank you to the guy that mentioned Plaza East. I'm a resident of Plaza East. We are underway with a $481 million redevelopment program that the community has organized and we are fighting diligent 
to have HUD Section 3 policies and laws of others implemented and adhered to as they haven't been for years. So we ask this panel to uh, make, uh, I don't know, the changes, I guess, to make ensure that we are a part, Blacks are a part of this billion-dollar real estate development um, sector of San Francisco. It is unfair and it's egregious to continue to be excluded and to not have you guys implement this as we've begged and asked, not just myself as a developer, but other Black contractors, Sterling Framers, um, Kinsu Plumbing, and so forth, so many Black brothers and sisters from here to the Fillmore to the Bayview, and we are being excluded. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, now we'll welcome Virginia Marshall. Uh, thank you. Uh, good evening, Chair McDonald and the uh, and committee members. Thank you for the, to the director for that uh, extensive report. I am always concerned. I am tonight after listening. I know certain members of the community have a certificate of preference, but there are Black folks walking around every day poor, living from paycheck to paycheck. Reparations should also include a cash benefit to every African-American in this city. I think they did it for the seniors in somewhere in the Midwest, Illinois, Indiana, someplace like that. So you're talking about helping seniors help every African-American senior. If you're talking about helping all every African-American young person, help them with skills and a, and a trading program where they can go from that program into a job where they can earn six figures to, to, raise, to help themselves and raise their family. So it's an, uh, then a house, a home. If you, can, if you have a home, that starts your wealth base. In this reparation bill, uh, there are many folks, uh, luckily they have these certificate preferences from generation to generation, but what about the ones who don't have it? What do they get? What do they stand back and still watch? So find some way to help every African-American when this is over, have a home, have a job, have own a, own a business where they can build wealth and stay in San Francisco from generation to generations. And I'm particularly talking about educators who retire broke. I'm particularly talking about grandmothers who raise children and have no other place to go. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Now I'd like to welcome Kamji Kam Ensley. Yes, hi, can I be heard? Yes. Yes, can I be heard? Yes, we can hear you. Okay, thank you. Um, I want to comment on the housing portion that I just heard um, from the first gentleman that spoke, um, and then again from the second gentleman who spoke on housing. Um, I, I want to just put this out there for the record. I We start off a lot speaking about Black Americans, and then we go into... Um, conversations like minorities and people of color. And I want to know that um, with the this new reparations proposal, once passed, will the qualifications for the housing change and that it be the qualifications that qualify you for reparations. And I want to make sure that we keep it with the Black American population in San Francisco and that we don't get sidetracked into people of color and minorities because that has happened to us in 
every other fight that we have done. We always get put at the end of the line and then people of color and minorities supersede us and go in the front of the line. So I just wanna make sure that we stay on the qualifications that we have for this reparations um, proposal and that it is implemented across the board even when it comes to housing and that we don't blur the lines with minority and people of color. Thank you. Thank you. Now I'd like to welcome Marjorie Turner. Marjorie, can you unmute yourself? Okay, um, we seem to be having technical difficulties connecting with Marjorie. So now I'll welcome Ace Washington. Ace, can you unmute yourself? Okay, there, Ace and um, Marjorie are unable to mute themselves. We will come back to them later. Um, Cash. Oh, hello. Can you hear me now? Yes. Can you hear now, me? now I can hear you, Ace. Oh, excuse me. This is about this is exciting. This just my second time zooming. I did one with Erica Scott, but this is my first time on air, so I'm out of town. So I missed the presentation about the housing. But let me speak on what I know about housing and what reparations. I don't know what y'all doing to help out housing. Let me first say the board, y'all have done a tremendous job. And my hat's off to y'all. After y'all, after I'm giving y'all compliments, let me tell you what's really on my mind. I'm very concerned now that the reparation uh recommendations are uh, I, I'm, I'm worried that the city is going to put this on the shelf. Well, if they're not going to put it on the shelf, uh, London Breed will attend to it during the election year. See, politics is full of tricks. It makes you turn to a lunatic. And right now, all the black people are calling and hoping that this represents the black folks. Let me say from experience, and I already gave you all compliments, I'm making a recommendation that the Outmigration Committee team up with the Reparation Committee and try to come together because some of the same notes are in the same reports that's been years ago. I had the pleasure of talking to Fred Blackwell's secretary today because I'm going to try to get in contact with him because he was the last person that helped us put the migration together. I know I got one minute left, but I'm excited about doing this Zoom. But what I'm saying, y'all, please pay attention to what people are saying about the black folks, because I feel differently. I feel that this whole project is going to be put on the shelf and all the work that y'all have been doing is going to be held up. So and I hope that doesn't happen. My name is Ace. I'm on the case. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to y'all. Is there any other items that's going to be? Thank you, Ace. Your um, two minutes has expired. Now I would like to um, see if Marjorie Turner can unmute their microphone. Okay, we're gonna move on to Cash Gaines. 
Mic check. Yes, we can thank hear you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for, for allowing me to speak. Um, I'm a young uh, millennial reparationist who tends to focus on direct cash payments specifically and is trying to keep up with multiple different task force at once. I first wanted to say that Oregon, with its Senate Bill 619, was only a single page long and that suggested that reparations be tax exempt. Uh, I wanted to shout out the San Francisco task force for uh, carrying that same uh, wording with point number 22 from their financial demands, as well as the black card idea, as well as the trust funds, the retirement services, financial literacy, and the 250 years of payments tied to the area immediate income. Can't stress enough that this is something that I will continue to champion as a part of the reparations conversation in any task force I call into. But uh, I wanted to bring to our attention the bill that's being suggested in Washington, D.C., which I believe can be comparable to San Francisco, uh, B250152, which suggests two new things in addition to a reparations task force. They suggest uh, um, st uh, studying private industry and its role in slaveholding so that we can hold them accountable. And they suggest creating a reparations fund that'll be used for payouts of cash payments of which, uh, unfortunately, they've suggested using sales tax and DMV fees. Those are disproportionately levied against Black Americans. So maybe they can learn from San Francisco's suggested example of uh, uh, the sale and leasing of uh, public buildings. But uh, I think we need to add private uh, sales as well, which is something that's been a uh, precedent has been set in Evanston, Illinois. And lastly, I just want to mention a remittance tax or call it the American Dream Tax. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to remind everyone that public comment should focus on the presentations about housing. We will have other opportunities to provide public comments and other topics not on the agenda tonight. Um, now I would like to welcome Angela A. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, thank you. Okay, so very quickly, I'm, I'm so sorry I was late and I noticed that you guys were already taking public comment and Catherine I now see that I should not be commenting now because it's not about housing so my apologies I shall wait for another time thank you thank you um now I'd like Jesus to welcome Star. black American can you unmute yourself can I be heard yes thank you thank you so much uh yes um Sort of keep the main thing, the main thing. I also heard the gentleman speak on housing, the first gentleman that spoke. Uh, yeah, I uh, my radars go off when I hear the um, the terms of people of color and also minority, you know, um, and also I heard um, uh, uh, there other terms also I heard, but I just want to keep the main thing, the main thing. Um, because we as Black Americans, we've heard it all before, and I just want to make sure sure that this committee is going to stay on task on what the qualifications are for reparations um, here in San Francisco. So as a concerned Black American, I just want to make sure that we're going to do our due diligence and not change up the language. Also, the 40, um, I, I'm wondering, those 40 uh, families that were placed, you know, in housing or whatever the case may be, is it possible that we could get the ethnicities of those families? Is it possible that the family would know, like, who, well, that the, um, uh, concerned Black Americans know who got those vouchers or whatever the case may be, or who was placed or whatever. I don't know if that's a, um, I don't know if that's okay to do, but we just, you know, just concerned Black Americans. We just want to know where that is. Um, and as it stands, um, I'll land right there. Um, thank you for allowing me to speak. Thank you. 
Um, now I would like to give Marjorie Turner one more opportunity to participate participate in public comment on this item. Can you unmute yourself? All right. Um, it looks like Marjorie cannot unmute herself. If there are any members of the public attending remotely or in person who would like to comment on this item, please. Um, okay, we, looks like we have one person in chamber who would like to comment on this item. Here? Yes. All right. God bless everybody. How's everybody doing? <clears throat> my name is Minhu Aim, I yell um, born Michael James Scott, St. Luke's Hospital, Pink Palace Projects. Um, <clears throat> I have a book out called God Reparations, and I'm talking about housing. I'm definitely dealing with it, issues of it. Um, but my suggestion, my overall suggestion, is that we build an Africa town, a black town, hospitals, Homes, schools, bakeries, the works. And we have a comprehensive community plan. Co-housing is a part of uh, green being green, bringing families together. We should do co-housing units. We should have work live, work trade, work make spaces in all of the houses that are developed. I'm a trained architect. I could help consult. Feel me? Hey, come on. Pay me, make a budget for it. I'll come through. I love this. I have a book out now called Got Reparations, 21 Questions, 21 Answers. And, uh, you know, I suggest we go green, do like the Chinese, the Koreans, the Japanese. This is reparations. It means to repair the damage. We want to repair, not just compensate somebody's pocket. Huh? We're dealing with trauma, everybody. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate y'all. Is, is that my time? I got one more minute. You got You've got 24 seconds. seconds. Oh, come on now. All right. So I will say something, but you know, I'm a father, you know, um, I'm a man of principle and that's been hard, very hard, very, 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 very hard. So, you know, we have to have the difference between money and character development and building and black men coming on home. Mommy, Baba, you know, both in the home. Feel me? That's what we got to do. Thank you for your comment. Are there any other members of the public attending in person or remotely? And I will remind folks um, that you can only provide public comment one time on each item on the agenda. Chair, I believe public comment is closed. Seeing none, public comment is closed. Thank you all for being with us and sharing your public comment this evening. All right, members, so we're going to come to you. Let me ask us to do this this way, just to... Um, Keep it focused that we'll begin with comments or questions for Director Shaw, and then we'll go to Director Kozlowski. Thank you. Uh, Member Baird. Thank you, Chair. Hello, Mr. Shaw. Welcome back. Thank you. Our first question. Uh, well, first, I want to ask that when um, both of you do slides, if you could use less acronyms for people who don't know what some of those mean. And then um, on to my question, which I think I la asked before, mm -hmm. and I would like to know more, is in reference to Midtown. Mm -hmm. I would like to know, will MOHCD, which is an acronym 
for those of the public, that is the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community De Development. Will your department support the resident-led process to explore home ownership options at Midtown? So the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development um, was able to receive a portion of funding for investments in um, improving um, public housing um, with, a, with a broad definition. The focus of MoCD at this time right now is making the needed improvements um, around, I believe it's HVAC, which is housing, excuse me, heating, ventilation, air conditioning, and some other capital improvements that are needed. So the expectation right now is that we will begin um, that renovation work or that improvement work um, within the first half of next year. Okay, Mr. Shaw, often when maintenance done and tenants are moved out, some a lot, a lot of times they do not return. So my question, and I, I, I assume it's a no because you didn't answer it, was will there be a resident-led process to explore home ownership options? So we are aware that there's an investment right now that was um, an appropriation by the Board of Supervisors through the LAFCO, the Local Advice forgot what it stands for, around understanding capital improvements and doing some community engagement related to possible ownership. We're coordinating with them, but we are focused right now on the capital improvements to Midtown. I also want to note that there will not be displacement in this instance. We've had conversations with the residents. Our first meeting was, I believe, in September, and we're coordinating about how to make sure that all residents can stay in place as needed capital improvements are done. Thank you. Also, I wanted to um, just put out there, we had someone mention about black contractors and whatnot. That's something San Francisco's lacking in, including doing this maintenance at Midtown. So the maintenance, the, so the contracts have not been bid yet. We're doing the scope of work right now. So um, we will follow all the SBE and LBE requirements as relates to it being a publicly funded project. Thank you, and for that project, and for future projects around the city, I hope that more black, black contractors are used and for contractors that are not black, that more black people are hired, period. And I would like to let the record <clears throat> reflect that that hiring be more than just holding the, the stop sign for a 90 day temp job, that we get black people trained on heavy equipment and electrical work, all the all the the living wage type jobs, that there be efforts in your departments to get black people into those type of uh, internships or apprenticeships. So I'm I'm also the interim executive director for Hope SF. Um, all of our internship and apprenticeship work is coordinated through City Build, um, and so in that instance, we um, coordinate closer with them to make sure that um, we have residents getting training and as many residents as possible are able to support the redevelopment efforts at, at Hope SF. Are they black residents? I mean, uh, the, res the residents within the Hope SF properties um, are diverse, but there's a large significant, there's a significant percentage of African-American residents. Okay, thank you, no further questions. Thank you, Mr. Um, Landry. <clears throat> Oh, thank you, Chair. Um, thank you, um, Director Shaw. And I just uh, want to say off um, top, um, I don't know what we was asking from this department, 
But to me, since April, have there's been any conversation around positions of all housing recommendations from this task force in terms of reparations that your department have somehow addressed? Uh, I know that uh, this would be no conflict with the supervisors. Mm -hmm. Each department has a certain level of autonomy to address and I, I want to hear something from that because this really, to me, is like, you know, it touches on a few things, but it's very general. Right. Specifically speaking, we have a lot of recommendations here and I can go over them. Uh, but for example, a lot of overlapping, too, when it comes to the Fillmore Harris Center, who's taking the lead when it comes to like, for example, community benefits. That could be an OCII issue, but it also could be. Uh, mayor's office of housing issue just on how we've been dealing with the um, business certificate of preference which is um, it was good to hear about Marcus books uh, possibility coming back in Harrison let me stop there though have anything been done from your department to address each and every one of our recommendations exclusively dealing with housing so we have reviewed them and there continues to be a balance between a federal and state charge around fair housing and the ability to target. And so I know that we heard from some of the audience as well around the fact that we um, are implementing both certificate of preference and neighborhood preference. I think that we are continuing to coordinate with banks on the implementation of CRA. I believe special purpose was one of those. Um, as we has shared within our budget right now, we have about $800 million in pipeline projects. And we anticipate this next tranche to be funded with $300 million. There's a lot of negotiation and analysis needed around implementation of fair housing and the resources available of MoCD to implement the strategies. But concurrent to that at this time, we are, as we share right now, trying to understand and scale the existing work we do with either African-American partners with organizations that serve African-Americans um, to make sure that we are operating within the spirit of the recommendations and understanding the spaces we can go with the resources to scale our work. And so that's in particular um, the application we said for HUD on these spaces right here. Um, the conversations we're having with the Federal Reserve on the special purpose credit places as well. Um, and then understanding, continue to monitor um, the success and outcomes and the challenges that come from our particular DK DALP program. So in each of these spaces, we continue to do work, I think that touches upon the spirit of the recommendations, but there are some moments where um, there may be a violation of fair housing rules as associated from both the federal and the lending side, um, and then also resource availability as relates to the ability to um, provide direct investment in housing without recouping the return in terms of either revolving loans or other things like that. What? Thank you. Uh, so in terms of the uh, city's attorneys, right, and that conversation of, because we heard 209, we keep hearing 209, um, but the reality is this task force is about the sunset after two more meetings. Yes. So we're like, we're not a commission. We have to ask the questions now. So uh, please forgive me, no, Chair, because this has just got to be 
put out there. Uh, as the housing right stock or housing production, to me, is not matching up on what we're really facing in terms of the decline of the black population. And I'll give you an example about the tennis selection plan, as you probably already know, in a lot of the co-ops and throughout the city, there's a big, um, uh, what's that word, uh, gap on who can get selected. And we're always talking about credit issues and, and who actually uh, ha has the right to uh, prepare the tennis selection plan. I was hoping that as we, uh, you know, sunset, that we could get some type of memorandum of understanding between the mayor's office of housing, um, OCII, when it comes to the, or the certificate of preference, and even HUD, that we could literally be working together in tandem on making it easier for people who's already in these co-ops to be attached to a lease, an existing lease, versus being pushed out. We have a big uh, senior population in King Garvey that's continually to decline. And we have like 23 vacancies currently. And to me, it makes no sense at all that we're still talking about black depopulation and all these wonderful things no discredit to you, but all these wonderful things coming out of City Hall. And the reality is that people are being evicted daily or told that they can't pass on even a co-op unit to a family member. How would you, um, how could we best work together in terms of vision after <clears throat> this body sunset, we won't be able to even put a question out there in a formal manner. So I think there's, there's three spaces on that one. <clears throat> I think one um, is that we do continue to coordinate with the hot. So my, the, the authority that I have within my respective administration, within my respective organization is for the development of 100% affordable housing, for the acquisition and rehabilitation called preservation of housing. And then we administer the Dahlia program and then we administer the tenant protection program and tenant right to counsel. We are now working to coordinate with the housing authority, which manages the voucher program around a common, you know, common set of criteria um, to make sure that folks sort of have the same information needed for each of these things. Um, HUD cooperatives are not under the authority of MoCD because there's not MoCD money in them. We have authority on the approval of um, management companies based off of covenants from past investments. But in particular, um, we're aware of what's happening at King Garvey and we continue to monitor that with HUD on those spaces. And in addition to that, um, there were resources that were given um, for us around some additional improvements to cooperatives. And so in that instance right now, I'm sort of similar to what's happening with Midtown around capital improvements. Um, and we've completed an assessment around either capacity, governance, or financial support that may be needed for the long-term sustainability. But the lease-up and management of cooperatives is subject to a private agreement. Cooperatives are, are privately managed, and they pick their own property managers in those instances. And so we are working to make sure that they have clear guidance around being in terms of the being in terms of California law and San Francisco law around lease ups, 
but it is something we're working with the boards around the management of their property managers. That's not, it's not subject to most CD. Most CD can only provide guidance. We cannot provide requirements on that. I'll hold off. Thank you. Sorry, thank you. Uh, Member Irving. Hi. Hi, thank you for the presentation. And I just wanted to have a appreciation comment and question. Okay. So appreciation, just shout out to all the work that you're continuing to do, whether okay. it's in the spirit of these reparations or just the work that you all have committed to do on your own. Um, extremely great to hear about the doubling of the um, homeowners through the DKI program. Uh, Dream Keepers Initiative Program. Um, really excited to hear about how many folks from that list were um, living in uh, low-income housing and had those vouchers and are now moving forward. I think that's the direction we want to keep going. Um, so shout out about that. Okay. I want to comment. I wanted to echo um, member of the public, Ansley, about people of color. I've said this before. And um, it's an easy way of dismissing what we do for Black people. And I think it is all right to say Black in most spaces. And it isn't about Black folks. And we need to be clear about that, too. Right. Um, and for this purposes and where we are today, we're only talking about Black people. Right. And so um, for anyone that presents, and I know that we may, you may not come again to this body, but there will be an Office of Reparations, hopefully through the spirit of transparency, that you're going to continue to go into community and tell the community what is happening because these recommendations belong to them not us mm -hmm. and when you do that that we speak very plain language about what is happening for black folks um, specifically and if we don't have those numbers and we should probably omit that part of the conversation um, also great with the hiring of black folks and making sure that these I heard some like people of color organizations and I was oh. like ah that could mean a lot of things in San right. Francisco how are we are we employing black folks and are we making sure that the people who are designing these new housing units are really thinking about it represent the community in which we're talking about in this space that's not a that's more of a comment okay question for you um you mentioned and so recommendation 2.5 where we talk about sorry let me turn my computer back on um, ensuring that all members of the affected community have access to affordable quality housing and options. I searched MOH, MOHCD to kind of see the things that were directed to your department. Mm -hmm. And one of them, 2.5, was addressing and removing the barriers built into the BMR. Nope, that's not the one. Let me go back up. Sorry. Doo -doo -doo -doo. All right. Two point. No, it's 2.5. Yeah, the BMI Sorry, program. 2.5. Mm -hmm. No, not was 2.6. 2.5 is the city and county of San Francisco and MOHCD should offer grants for home maintenance and repair costs. So with the number of folks getting homes and building this, mm -hmm. building homes and getting home ownership, what are we doing to ensure that these folks can upkeep these homes? You know, that's just one part of the barrier. And as you mentioned, that things are growing, it's going to get harder to maintain them and to keep them. We don't want folks to get in it if they can't sustain so in that instance right now, at least initially, so we have the senior repair program, which I think the recommendation was to scale that as well. So we're looking at how to how to scale that um, citywide and outside of those target communities. But second of all is that for all of our housing programs, people are required to go through pre-purchase counseling, financial literacy, and post-purchase counseling. And we've actually had um, some folks that went through the DKDOT program who decided to to pause 
in their purchase to understand if they had enough financial cushion if something happened um, related to repairs that are needed. Mm-hmm. Um, in that instance right now, um, we focus as a city on life safety repairs. So that would be if it's a roof, if it's accessibility or some issues associated with once again, heating, heating and cooling. Um, but generally part of the post-purchase counseling is developing the budget to have the reserves for when accidents happen. But at least for right now, the emphasis that we have is, well, one, people just got in their houses for good. They got their inspections. Um, but I think that we'll continue to understand how to make sure that program is more responsive. I mean, I know I, I own a house in Louisiana and it was, you know, $5,000 to change that carpet. So I understand those things as well. But I think a lot of that is focused on the, pro, the post-purchase counseling at this time. But there isn't resources outside of life safety for repairs or improvements. Uh- understand that. I mean, clearly you say in the spirit of the recommendations, there are some limitations. One of the things, seniors, absolutely top of the list right. um, to make sure that they have safe, safe and accessible homes and that their repairs are happening. It's one thing to get counseling, but my money doesn't change just because of that. And right. so hoping that we can really think about not just for those who are just getting these homes, mm-hmm. but also just black homeowners in San Francisco, what are they getting to maintain their homes beyond just that, right? We want them to be able to live and thrive and pass it throughout generations. And so um, I know you can't do all things, even though they were recommendations, right. but hopefully we can look into that. And then the last thing I'll say is, um, I was going to ask the question about you saw the recommendations. You mm-hmm. said you reviewed them with your team. You guys are working hard to implement in the spirit of them. Correct. But sometimes with just transparency, we're going to ask a lot of things and you can't do all things. Right. So at what point do you say, yeah, we're not going to be able to do that. And I think that that's what's important. Community will understand if we give rationale and say, heard you, you really want these things. This is with this within our control. Right. This is not within our control. It's federal, right? Can't right. handle that. And yeah, maybe we're going to look at that in five years, but it's not happening today. I just want like, what are, what can't you do? If there's like one thing you looked at and was like, damn, we really want to do this, but we cannot do it. Right. How do you share that back? What's your plan for sharing that back? So I, I, I'm a city planner by training. I think I believe in being aspirational and being bold. I think that a lot of what's been proposed exist in some way within MoCD, right? So we do have a homeowner repair program and may not be targeted, but the question is how can we be even more targeted and how can we scale it? Um, I think the question for BMRs was, and this was, what are the barriers around, what are the, what are the individual sort of psychological barriers, what are the financial barriers, what are the process barriers? Um, your recommendations, along with some work that we did, actually led us to have some conversation with our lenders. We changed the whole DK DOUT program to do counseling, cohort support. We increased the AMIs 200, 200%, which allowed us to have city workers involved in that kind of thing. So I think those moments are there. Um, for HOAs, which are focusing within condo associations, if they're within moderate income or in low income condos, we adjust the price of that condo based off of the HOA dues to make sure that equals out. And if there is an assessment or in reserve um, that's needed for improvements, then we're able to provide grants for those. We provide foreclosure prevention, we provide rental assistance. So I think when I saw those, I wasn't scared, right? I think there's some moments when we've said this before where being 
So like, so emerging developers of color is a state program, which is a proxy. In some instances, we can deny that. 60% of the people in the ULI program identify as African-American. So we are finding those pieces as well in those moments. I think what we're trying to find is continue to be in line with fair housing, understand how to scale the resources that we have, and then once again, remove those barriers. I mean, we found right now that for a lot of our programs recently, and I want to thank, I mean, Dr. Brown for this, of we were like, it's on the website, right? And it got tweeted and we went through our community partners. And so hearing from you all, we may go back to newspaper ads and radio ads because that's the requirements we have for actually recruiting um, and soliciting um, interest from African-Americans for our housing. So we were having a mismatch in what we thought were best practices around communication and then how we were communicating. So those are some moments right now where I think it's going to be ongoing. I think we're going to continue to push push where we are. And I think that, you know, we're going to try to scale and sustain as much as we can. So I'm not sure what the, what's not there yet, but I think that even, you know, we've had conversations around forgivable loans in those spaces. I think we're trying to understand how to sustain the programs and scale the programs. Seems like you're doing a lot of great work. Trying, it's trying really to. Really important to shoot that back out to the people you're trying to serve so they can't say what you're not doing, but they can see what you are doing, even if it isn't in this space. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, okay, members, just for your information, I'm toggling between who's in the room and who's not in the room in terms of our members. So I'm now going to online to Member Ekonem, and then I'll come back to Reverend Brown. Member Ekonem. Thank you so much. And I absolutely appreciate uh, your work today, um, Director Shaw. Something that I am really interested in, I'd like to sort of get a clear answer because I know that there's a lot of affordable housing being suggested not only by the mayor, but by your office as well as OCII. I'd like to know exactly how much money does one have to make to qualify for affordable housing rentals and ownership respectively in this city? It's like asking me what the gallon of milk is. Um, I would have to get that back to you, get back to you on that, not at the top of my head, but we have the the tables that we we have. So I can send that to the committee. We have the the tables are public. I don't have it on top of my head. I apologize. My concern is, and the HRC did this work and has been backed up by other parts of the city that the average income for African-Americans are $31,000. Mm -hmm. uh, it's looking like, affordable housing is at least $15,000 more just to rent. You have to make a minimum of $15,000 more just to rent and, you know, and twice that to buy. So my concern is with all this affordable housing talk, on the talk about the new units that are going to be built, that we are systematically excluding Black people who are in the city in San Francisco from the start. And there's been no talk about how to bridge that qualification gap. You know, we put that in place as part of reparations. The policy is moving forward. People are saying affordable, but it's not affordable for us. And so I have a hard time when people put forward the policy and don't take responsibility for the aftermath that will occur. And it will be a tsunami of not only evictions, um, new homeless neighborhoods being created because black people can't get into this housing because they will not qualify. Uh, 
Um, we try, so I, you know, and so thank you committee member. And I think we've understood this as well. Um, we have a diversity of incomes within our housing as well, which ranges from 50, 50%, 80%, 100%, 120%. So I have to sort of see what the 50% AMI is. Our average usually is 80%. And then in some instances on um, the unhoused population, um, the incomes are as low as 10% of AMI, but they're portioned differently. Um, I know that there's been some conversations by other advocates as well, I, I believe in this committee around shallow subsidies, which exist as well. Um, and so I think once again, um, structurally, we have to understand that there is a balance, a mismatch between the average income and, and the incomes. Um, but I know that we provide a diversity of incomes within our housing. And then I know that for some populations, I think within a certain income, there is a permanent shallow subsidy, which helps offset the cost of rent if they can afford the 50% AMI. So I think we, if we, if we said we need to revisit the resources within that shallow subsidy um, and then understand those spaces. We're doing some new orientation right now within our affordable housing around permanently including project-based vouchers or tenant-based vouchers in all of our projects as well to increase economic diversity. Um, but I want to thank you for, for raising that, that concern. Thank you for that. Um... I do have another question, and, and I think you talked a little bit about sort of scaling existing work, which I think is a very good thing. One of the concerns that I have is that the Board of Supervisors just did an audit of MOHCD and found several areas in which there was not transparency, there was not great record keeping. Um, and so it makes it hard for us on this committee and in the public to come back and be able to sort of really sort of take a look at the entire pie, so to speak. And if it's hard for us, it must be extremely difficult for you to sort of scale this up, right? And so I'm hoping that you're taking some of those recommendations um, into account so we can actually uh, scale scale these programs up to the extent that they should. Like the Mission Local did a great article, the Board of Supervisors came together art like around this audit um, and, and made those recommendations. I'd love to hear from you how those recommendations are going to be implemented so we can actually see and better understand the reporting uh, and the impact behind um, the changes that need to be made. Yeah, so I think that that reference was about um, the funding streams that go into our housing our housing production. Um, we have updated our quarterly report now to the Board of Supervisors. In some instances for the construction of our housing, we may have as many as 40 sources that go into that from tax credit equity, shallow subsidies. Um, but we actually just recently as part of our budget conversation and for the bond also shared the, the sources of those fundings and what we were doing from either different bond sources, um, inclusionary housing fees, um, um, Finds all those spaces, so we that is available, um, and we can share that that recent spreadsheet with the committee as well. Thank you. Um, I'd like to know from an, again, this is around sort of scaling up. Are organizations that focus on different cultural groups funded in parity to those organizations that are seeking um, funding specifically for the Black community? So, for example, um, your or your org fund places like Meta, et cetera, and they deal with specific mm -hmm. communities. Um, are 
is there parity in funding to organizations that serve the black community? So with all, within all of our generally, so that's a good question. I think the first piece is, and this has been really under the leadership of Mayor Breed as well, is there's an expectation, let's say, for example, our housing counseling agencies, that they are citywide, they have a citywide mandate for citywide services. They may have a cultural competency that orients themselves to one population, but there's an expectation that they are serving all San Franciscans. Um, we have um, organizations of varying sizes, um, but in most instances, the budget is based off of a per person served. And so my assumption would be yes. Um, I know that in some instances, we have organizations that do a number of things. So some organizations do pre-purchase, post-purchase, financial literacy, these moments as well. So they have different funding streams coming from us as a city, as a, as a department in particular. Um, but we have expectations around um, the cost per person served and then the number of the amount of administrative overhead that people are able to take. So in that instance, um, that's monitored by my contracts monitoring division. And I'm confident that they are doing that. Um, and then lastly, this is more of a comment than anything else. I think one of my concerns is sort of coming into this is that for previous propositions, money has actually already been allocated um, to some to some of these programs like money from Prop I, from Prop C that don't seem to actually make it um, to the black community um, or they get put back into the general fund. Not quite sure if that's sort of above <laughs> where you are, but from an activist, from a community sort of standpoint to know that there's funding available for housing to increase the amount of money uh, to keep people in their homes versus like evictions through Prop I that just aren't allocated um, is really disheartening, you know, especially as we're sort of talking about reparations, especially as we are taking a look at uh, the simple fact that, you know, with affordable housing, our people could be out, like out on the street in, in a real sense. And I don't get a sense of urgency around that from anyone in the city. And that I think to me is really, is extremely disheartening. Um, but, you know, and having said that, I do want to thank you for the work that you have done and you're trying to do within your position. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much. All right, we're going to go to Reverend Brown and then Member Brown, and then we're going to go to Member Cunningham. Yes. Mr. Chairman, members of the task force, Mr. Shaw, those of you in the audience, Actually, my comments um, are about the collective. You're just an administrator. But each of us has the moral obligation to be a part of a movement to change these laws that continuously do harm to nobody but black folks. That's why Langston Hughes said, I swear to the Lord, I still can't see why democracy means everybody but me. 
and the facts reveal that this town has been mean as hell to black people. Yes, the preacher said that. All indices indicate that we are doing in a slick, sleazy, subtle, sinful way what one Peter Burnett did when he became the first governor of this state. He was a blatant arch racist and left a dirty trail up in Oregon of establishing the Peter Burnett flogging law. Hmm. We are not flogged with whips, but the public policies and legislation that we embrace in this town are just as brutal. Case in point is, we are a sanctuary city. And it was that board of supervisors that voted to make San Francisco a sanctuary city. I support the concept. They very much broke the law in relationship to the laws of this nation. So we got to be serious about this business of making this thing right with black folks. And I appreciate what everyone else has said in terms of I feeling the same. I get nervous. I hear this language, people of color. We all got some color in us. And I think we need to get rid of that and be specific. If my house is on fire, the fire department is not going to go to every house on the block and waste water come to my house put the fire the fire in this town when it comes to equality of opportunity and justice black folk so as you move around your colleagues I hope you will join us even though this task force was sunset but as long as I have some more years beyond these 82 years <coughs> I'm going to be fighting for a sunrise of a movement to make sure that the Board of Supervisors that gave lip service on March 14th to reparations walk the walk and not just talk the talk. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Reverend Brown. Uh, let's go to Member Brown, and then we'll go to Member Cunningham. Thank you, Chair. Um, good evening, Director Shaw. Uh, um, I kind of wanted just, just to get to um, the conversation or questions about how, because I know MOHCD has been um, made aware that allocations to Black-led organizations have not been in parity. I mean, I know that's something that you guys are actively working on. And one of the things I hear um, 
you say, I heard you say, mm-hmm. and other department heads say is, um, especially around fair housing, we can't um, provide t- race targeted um, outreach and recruitment, so to speak, right? Uh, what my question is, is how could a preference, how could a preference help prioritize and create the access that is needed to be able to really address the disparities that Black San Franciscans really experience in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And so that's one thing I'm wondering, is that something that you guys have been talking about and looking at? And then also, could that preference be around out-migration? Um, when we look at the numbers, that's not race-based, but we all kind of know the Black population in San Francisco has been the only population that has decreased steadily over the last 30 years. So I'm wondering if, if we're talking about creating a preference um, for the black community to really put the fire out in the, in the house that is really burning down. Um, and so I think that I say that because, no, um, because I'm wondering if that's something that you guys are, are talking about. So, so I think our orientation, um, the way that Mayor Bree talks about it was that was, that was how we got to the neighborhood preference space. And so because our preferences, a certificate of preference, it's displaced tenant, that means someone was directly got Ellis acted. It's displaced tenant by fire, neighborhood preference, and then it's live work preference in San Francisco. The emphasis is for folks within San Francisco, I believe, but the orientation um, and an approach that we have is to the neighborhood preference piece, and then also understanding that certificate of preference is a a good proxy for African American of a certain generation because of the neighborhoods where it was impacted. And so, I think actually we have veterans preference now. Um, and so, I think we're trying to find also the right balance between well, no. So for us, the proxy would be neighborhood preference in that instance, and then for live work within San Francisco would be those as well. So. Um, I don't think we've explored an out-migration preference. We do know that um, with the DKI DAP in particular, that I think the majority, if not all of the folks that received that funding had connections to San Francisco. I think a significant portion of them also lived in San Francisco, but I think there were some folks that may have been part of what you call a diaspora who this was the means for them to come back. Um, but also in that instance, it's because we also prioritize people who, if they don't actually live in San Francisco to work in San Francisco. So there really is a focus on the resources of the city going to support city city activities. Yeah, no, I only mentioned that because um, I only mentioned that mm-hmm. option because I look at um, I look at different services, um, disability preference or those types of preferences and how that gives people a preference to get access to these resources. And so in our seat as reparations, um, part of the issue that we're really tasked with solving or helping to solve, working with you all to help solve, is um, removing the barriers that uh, the black community have faced that are due to policies or ineffective policies, I'll say. And so I think neighborhood preference is, um, I think it's a start, but I think we have to create something that is a lot more targeted because over the last 30 years, you've literally seen an actual decline in not just 
not just our presence in San Francisco, but our quality of life. And so I only say that also to create some type of precedent. This is not an issue that is specific to MOHCD. I think this is an issue with all San Francisco departments. And so I'm just asking if that's something you guys have been looking at to also create that type of uh, support that we're looking for within the black community and setting those types of precedent for other city departments to also create more accessible resources that also that translate into actual impact so i think that there are there's two spaces where i think we can see results in that so one is i mean i think at the urging of this committee and the public and and you sort of hear this was the recognition of the economic diversity of the african-american community and so in that instance um that's why we went to 200 percent ami for for dreamkeeper doubt so we have families that may make $200,000 and we have families on vouchers, they're both able to access this program because there was a recognition of the fact that there was economic diversity. I think that we have been working very hard um, to target communities which we know either have long-standing African-American residents, so our senior rehab program it is, we looked at factors of not only so it was when folks bought their home. So we knew when African-Americans had that moment, we knew the percentage that was there. And we was a focus on income stability with a follow-up also as well on um, anyone that goes to the senior rehab program also gets um, um, free lo- legal services around wills to understand this because we understood there was two moments where People were under, you know, if people didn't invest in their homes, the home was worth a million dollars, but people were buying it for 700000 because they realized that. So I think we're understanding that spread as well. And then I think finally, um, with this pro-housing grant that I hope we get from HUD, there's a recognition of that there were some investments post-redevelopment that created some significant assets by Black-led institutions of which there was no follow-up on that. So if that's um, Bethel AME has some churches, I know that Booker T you know, owns their asset and got that, that grant and that resource, I believe in the 80s or 90s. Uh, we're trying to understand right now how to unlock um, the value of that asset, how to reaffirm both affordability, get more units, get more leadership on there. And so it's about deeply targeting place. It's about um, understanding the economic spread and then understanding how to be iterative and looking back at previous investments that didn't, as you said, didn't have the follow-up there before, right? There was no post-purchase counseling when those first HUD grants came in on the co-ops, on some of these assets. So for us now, it's a real focus on what are the resources needed um, to to really um, capture all that these that this type of housing could do for the black community. So it's a lot of proxies, but these are all proxies of the particularities of the black community and understanding how to do this. Thanks. But my final comment is just yes, that. you can. But I also want to call folks to time because we still have. Director Kozlowski that we want to get to and obviously other members, but yes, please go. My closing comment is just that um, all these resources actually exist within these departments. Black people just don't get access to them. So I just want to put that on the record 
that that's where that's kind of the spirit that I'm coming from when I say out migration. These things already exist. Black people just don't get them. If they're not going to black led organizations, they just don't really come to the black community for some reason. And so I just want to put that on the record. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Um, okay, we're going to go to Member Cunningham. Uh, and then, um, Member Bear, I see your hand, but because you've already spoken, I just want to make sure there aren't other committee members who want to speak before I call on Member Barry. Uh, I can oh. speak now, Chair. Member Cunningham, go ahead, please. Thank you. Okay. Um, hi, everybody. Sorry, I'm not available to be there in person. I'm dealing with an injury. Anyway, <clears throat> I really would like to know, like, did you all like go into the community to actually talk with those you're trying to represent, not pitting meetings together to actually have them come to you, i.e. going into Hunter's Point, going into Alex Griffin, actually going into the communities that you're representing? Did you guys go out? Um, for which project, ma'am? Anyone's relating to you doing housing for low-income folks. Yeah, so um, as the interim director for um, Hope SF, we have seven full-time staff that work at, with Sunnydale, Alice Griffith, Hunters View, and Potrero, in particular, if you're if we're referencing um, the Hope, Hope SF properties. Um, in addition with that, um, my services team works directly with all of what we call the rental assistance demonstration projects. Um, and then um, I probably, for my grant managers um, and for my outreach staff, they probably spend 30% of their time um, working directly with community and, and monitoring work that's being done. Okay, so that means that the people you guys are partnered with was actually in the community and having meetings and having discussions. That's what you're saying? That's correct, ma'am. Okay, thank you for that. Um, I want to talk about, <clears throat> you know, I didn't hear any numbers that were different related to those who, like uh, was mentioned earlier, I think it was uh, Anita mentioned about the, uh, or maybe it was my, uh, e, I can't remember. Somebody mentioned about the statistics of Black folks who were the 41 people who got in there. Um, and of course, the interchangeably words of, you know, low income and uh, people of color that we kind of had this same issue back in March. And I feel like, if you all's income, your monthly salaries or yearly salaries was reliant on having these real numbers for us, then we would know true numbers because you guys have to keep getting back to us on what those numbers are. Like you said, oh, that's like asking you how much was a gallon of milk when in fact, this is what we're talking about. These meetings are about black people. So if you say there was 41 people who received these type of housing and there were 15 that were black, those are like real numbers we're looking for. What would it take to get those real numbers like in this presentation? Because we just met what March and look how many months it is now. And we still don't have those true numbers. Um, it's more than 15, ma'am. I believe it's 88 percent. Um, so that would be what is that? That would be 30, 38 to 41. And that's that's uh, 38 of 41 of black people, not people of color. That's correct, ma'am. Okay, great. That would have been great to like share earlier. Thank you. I appreciate that because I feel like we're being pacified with these numbers and pushing stuff around. So I appreciate you saying that. Um, the last thing is about these different um, committees and having Black people in position. I want to make sure I state this on the record that all Black folk are not kinfolk. 
Just because you are Black and you're in these positions do not mean that you are pushing to make sure that Black people are being seen, heard, and respected and getting their due process. What are you specifically doing to make sure that the people you work with in the community, like you just named a bunch of them, the people who fall underneath you are with that specific agenda to making sure we're being heard? Because as Anita spoke earlier about the AMI, it's great for you to raise the AMI. That's fantastic. Me, my ex-husband, two kids, we can make almost $200,000 and have Section 8 in San Francisco. That's not going to do anything for someone who has an income of $10,000 and you need to make $45,000 to qualify for these houses. So how do we get that number down to zero so that Black people, poor Black people qualify? So, I mean, I'm sorry, because I think there were five, four or five programs that were associated with there. So um, I think that once again, we are continuing, you know, if we need to revisit what um, the AMI schedules are versus the incomes, that's one. Two, understanding that we do provide shallow subsidies. I know there's additional advocacy for more shallow subsidies for some folks. Um, and then I think um, three, I think it's a, we're, we're trying to recognize the economic diversity to make sure we are doing community stabilization. Um, and then I think uh, that was a lot in the question, but, you know, I think finally we are just being intentional as an office and asking these questions. Um, we're being mindful of this. I think in particular under the leadership of Mayor Breed and then the fortunate partnership of both Thor and with Director Davis. I know that my predecessors were really function were really focused on unit count. And I think that we're really understanding placement of units, partners in units, income of units, outcomes of units, outcomes of all the services investments that we do. And so there has been an orient been a reorientation that really starts at the top with Mayor Breed. I'm fortunate to work with her, work with me as well to provide direct guidance to our team around the performance and adjusting accordingly. Okay, thank you. I wanna share something. I work for the Scenic County of San Francisco. And when I was an eligibility worker, most of the children who were being removed from their families were African-American, Black kids. The numbers that we used were July 16, 1996, which meant a family of three had to earn like $1,300 a month. When I left that position in 2016, they still used that same scale of 1996 numbers, which means $1,300 <laughs> We had most of the children being removed and these families were getting federal funding, those who were um, foster parents, based on the parents not earning over $1,300. So when you do an AMI and you increase it on the higher end, that's going to serve a different population. Instead of you going in with the intention and saying, listen, everybody, I'm the captain of the ship and I'm recommending that we drop these numbers down to zero, to fit, make to make sure we can fit those people. Now, I haven't worked in that position since 2016, so I don't know if it's changed, but I would doubt the fact that it had changed since then or even raised just a little bit. So the fact that we want to get housing in here for everybody and we want to make sure that low-income folks, Black folks especially, are qualifying, that system alone 
would help stop having black children being removed from their families because they will be able to afford housing. So I would like that you, the captain of this ship, talk to your people and really work on getting the AMI qualifications for housing down to zero so that we can make sure that the poorest of the poor in San Francisco qualify. So Ms. Cunningham, though, um, I do want to note, and we talked about this last time, um, this is also a resource issue. Um, the way that our housing is set up and the way that investment structures are done, there needs to be a spread to be able to cover the operations of the building. And then so what happens in the end is we won't have 0% AMI unless we have an offset for that person to cover the rent. The way it works with our zero to 30% AMI, could we have 20% set aside for homeless, is that we have resources from Pop C and from General Fund called the Local Operating Subsidy Program that offsets those rents. For moderate income people, as the need to, I mean, excuse me, Mr. Ekinum brought up, we have shallow subsidies that can offset part of that. For folks with HIV housing, they get what's called the HIV House and Plus voucher. For, for some folks, we have that offset with a project-based voucher or a tenant-based voucher. And so the way that we need to understand the economics of both construction and operation of affordable housing is that we have to also understand the long-term operational structure of that. And so when we adjust our AMIs, there's two things. We're trying to really make sure because there was a moment when the AMIs were so high in San Francisco, the rents were going up and income was going up by 20% a year. So we stabilized that. But I think also too, we're trying to understand how to moderate operations, property management and actual construction. And so that's why I said for our terms of our resources, trying to understand what are the programs either through vouchers or shallow subsidies that can make sure that if someone's not making that 50% AMI, we have the resources drop in to get them there because the projects do have to pencil. Okay, so it sounds in short, it's money over people. Basically, is that what that sounds like? No, what we're saying is that in order to have safe and affordable housing and get housing constructed, we have to have resources. And we're very lucky as a city to have invested $500 million last year within housing, but we also made equal investments in both services and in rental subsidies. When we had our rental assistance program, we gave up more than $200 million to help people during COVID. But there is a cost associated with having people housed and we find the balance around both operations and development. Got you. This would be my last thing I'll say. So you found $200 million to help people stay housed during COVID. Then you have $500 million and we still have a ton of people who are homeless and people who are still being, who are losing their housing as we speak and have to move out of San Francisco. The math isn't mathing. I just want to say that, but I do appreciate that y'all found $200 million to make sure that the people who were in housing re receive that. So thank you for that blueprint. I do feel it still is money over people's lives. And if you can increase it on one end, I definitely think you can cut that down. Find some people who do good work and charge less. Thank you for your time. Thank you for allowing me to speak, um, reparations family. Thank you, member. Thank you, member Cunningham. Um, so let's go to member Barry, who's going to be brief. And then member Vice Chair Hollins. Yeah, real brief. I just wanted to piggyback on Member Brown's um, suggestion about 
classifications of people to uh, do preferences and whatnot. Perhaps um, I remember when Mayor Breed went to D.C. and able to get this certificate of preference approved for San Francisco, and that was wonderful. Maybe something like that can be expanded to the majority of people who are displaced from the San Francisco, which is black people. We can go by without saying black people, say whoever is displaced the most at a rapid rate, that would be us. And also, I just wanted to assure you, I'm a member of Bethel AME Church, and that housing no longer is full of Black people like it used to be. It's definitely changed. And um, while I'm at it, I just wanted to add that if your office or your influence with the mayor could get with the city attorney, because um, so many of us are dangled a voucher in front of our faces, but vouchers aren't really worth a lot anymore in San Francisco. A lot of people end up leaving out, migrating again, because they can't find uh, <clears throat> developments or units that will take them. If we could get the city attorney to do his job and enforce the law that is illegal to not rent to people with Section 8, and also, more importantly, have his office form a list of those owners who are bad actors. Thank you. Vice Chair Hollins. Thank you, Chair. I'll be brief. Um, thank you, Director Shaw, thank for you. coming back and we appreciate the report. I just have a few quick comments to make. One is to build off of uh, what Member Brown mentioned about preference. And I also just want to name that while with deep appreciation and respect for what MOHCD um, and other departments are doing to align with the recommendations, um, the work that your offices are currently leading are not exclusively reparations. And I want to be clear that we're going to continue advocating um, and being very clear about centering Black people and challenging policies that don't do that, and also challenging your department's to include the language as we have begun to pull out the eligibility criteria to make those preferences, because that is how we can be exclusive or be more inclusive. <clears throat> Neighborhood presence has not increased the representation of black people getting access to housing in this, in this time frame, right? That is where we are right now. The demographics of this city have changed. The demographics of the neighborhoods have changed. Um, and we continue to see black people um, nowhere in our eligibility pipelines. And so I do appreciate the efforts. And I did see that, especially when the uh, new Section 8 housing um, vouchers became available and increased effort to try to make sure that folks get in the application pipeline. Uh, but I also want this committee to just remain vigilant in that operationally operationalizing things through existing policies and existing systems is not reparations. So I want us to keep pushing to make sure that we address that. The other thing is um, understanding and appreciating um, that the work that's being done in alignment with policies and grants related to redevelopment and excited to see what that means for the Western Edition community would like us to continue looking at how we do that in Bayview, how we do that in OMI, how we do that in other parts of the city um, so that we do not we do not exclude ourselves to any one neighborhood, that this is really about um, operationalizing the equity plans that exist in all of your departments already that said that this should, that this should happen. 
Um, and then the last thing of kind of related to that is with the ULI program, which I'm really excited about and love to hear that the state is continuing to invest on that. And what you've been able to do in San Francisco with that is really remarkable. Um, and maybe taking into consideration on how we focus on CDCs or build the capacity of eligibility for CDCs in those other neighborhoods so we can complement the work that's happening in Western Edition. Thank you. Thank you. Um, just two quick things, Director Shaw, and then we'll go to Director Kozlowski. Um, one, I actually sent a pretty quick email to Director Kozlowski, who then said, I think this belongs to Director Shaw. You all can help me sort this out real time in this moment. Okay. And this sits in the context of you made several understandable references to fair housing law, et cetera, right. that create certain limitations around what you can and cannot do. So a recent RFP that was released is acquisition and capital improvements for organizations working with API residents. Um, so my question is, and I don't mean it as I got you as much no, as sorry. you were able to do this, how, and what, what's the vehicle or pathway to doing similar efforts for Black folks? And that's not a gotcha. Um, there were resources that were made available within the suite of, of certificates of participation that were done. I think that we... Um, that was a directive of the money that came from the board and the issuance of that debt. Um, and then our instance, it is the priority of, of serving institutions. We do in some instances um, understand that there are different organizations that may serve a community differently. And so that was participation that came from the board that was on, I believe Supervisor Chan was the one that initiated that and then we just issued the RFP for that to execute that. So we did not have a say in the policy direction of that one. And we would not have a say in the budget associated with that one. We were just the administrators. And that was the budget direction that came from the board. So again, no gotcha intended no, here. Using it as a, my word, kind of learning moment that suggests that the same can be done because the kind of collective powers that be didn't right. disallow this. So in that instance, once again, I think similar to how we talked about this is sometimes we say API serving communities. We understand there's target geographies where it may be done. Um, there may be some unique um, programmatic outcomes or language that may be there. So I'm not sure the particular language of how we use it within the RFP, but we try to follow the spirit of the budget direction in that. So sure. that was $25 million. So in this one, the, at least the, the heading of the RFP is organizations working with API residents. That's correct. So similarly, it could be- That's correct. Right? That's correct. Um, organizations working with black communities. That's correct. Okay. So that's a path. That would be a targeted path. resources. Yeah. So in that instance, thing I told you too, we are the implementations of that sure. one, but that policy is set but that's budgetary policy set okay. with both the mayor and the board. Yep. No, appreciate that. Okay. Thank you for that. Lastly, and I'm going to ask you both this. So, um, Director Koslowski, this, this will, you don't have to answer right now. You can answer when we're done, but it's the same question to okay. you both. Right. You've heard reference to the fact that our committee will sunset, <clears throat> excuse me, in January. I ask this on behalf of community. What is the best, most effective way for community to continue to hold you and your department accountable uh, for its commitments and investments in the black community? So your question. Um, I think that I will say, if you don't know, ask. I think a lot of times that either, you know, we submitted, we 
present an annual report regularly. We have procurements regularly. And I think that, and this is unfortunate, and I've, I've heard this a lot um, just in my time in community, that things are sort of set already. And we've been doing our best to really unwind that. So if that's office hours, if that's questions, you know, our consolidated plan is coming up right now, which directs some of our resources. If they're community priorities, we have a lot of things are not set within our department. We take, we take seriously community input and the ability to think about strategy and think about our approach and inform the mayor. I think that if there are questions, then they need to be asked. And I think even that question is, what are you doing? How are you doing more? Those are questions that I get paid to, to answer. And those are questions I have of my, my folks as asked of my team as well. And so I think um, the other question, and hopefully you will see this is, how are you working together? Is a question that, that the mayor asks a lot of times. And I think in particular, Director Kofolowski, Director Ledeju from the Housing Authority, um, Director Colfax from Public Health and Director um, McSpadden. We're working tighter than we ever have before, all with the equity intention. Um, um, we didn't note this, but I really am excited. A partnership with um, HSH um, and um, Adult Probation has now yielded um, a $3 million loan to build returning citizen housing um, for the first time. And that was a lot of um, deep... Um, personal capital and personal interest on our side, but I think literally like asking the question of how you're working together, asking the question of what you're doing. And if, if something's not clear, asking how and why that's happening, I think is the best way to keep things going. Excellent. Thank you right. so much. Right. Thank again, you, sir. Appreciate, appreciate you, you and your time. Yes. You. Director Kozlowski, thank you again for being with us members. Um, and let me just, we'll hear from anyone who'd like to, uh, again, make comment and or ask questions of Director Kozlowski. Um, that said, let me ask you to keep in mind our time. Um, we do have Director Davis, who's on the East Coast and it's getting late. And, we, and we're going to move up her item so that she can um, give her report before midnight her time. So, um, Member Barry. Thank you, Chair. Hello, Thor. I can never pronounce your name. I apologize. Um, good to see you last night at the uh, meeting in reference to the Fillmore Heritage Center. And I actually asked a question last night about that building. And I was wondering why a land trust was not considered. Thank, thank you, Ms. Berry. Um, I, I said at that meeting at uh, Third Baptist Church, when redevelopment was dissolved in 2012, there's a document required by the state called the Long Range Property Manager Plan. And it asked redevelopment, it said, finish any projects that you've started. And if there are projects that are incomplete or you have no ability, you have no contract, they use this term called enforceable obligation. If you have no enforceable obligation to complete that project, then you must give it over to the city to complete. The Fillmore Heritage Center was in that circumstance, and we had three choices. Give it to the state to sell off, sell it off directly to the highest bidder, or give it over to the city to complete its work on the economic promise of the Fillmore Heritage Center. And so that, that project and that RFP that is now culminating in this uh, negotiation phase was led by the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development. Our job was solely to transition that project, that property, to the city. We had weren't allowed to do any other work related to that. 
Okay. And also, um, I, I was quite frightened by the information that tenants will have a subsidy the first year, and then each year the subsidy would be lowered. And then by the fifth year, there would be no subsidy. Um, I remember Gussie's used to be, uh, I believe it was Eddie Street. And I remember they said, there's not enough fried chicken in the world you could do to keep paying that rent, you know, and they had a big crowd lying out the door. So I'm really concerned about the rent with no subsidy being an achievable goal or if we're being set up for failure. So my question is, after the five years, is it possible for that budget to be renewed? And I'm gonna turn that over to Director Shaw. And we'll, we'll see if Director Davis wants to weigh in. This is her, her item. The expectation within the procurement was that we have sustainable operations. There was a, there was a, and I think this was shared in a number of the community meetings that, that um, there's significant cost that the city incurs even now with it being empty. And the expectation was that we had operations activation and program that would generate the economic return to, to reduce the city's cost. So that was explicitly within um, the procurement. Um, and then the idea in the end is that the subsidy is decreasing because the expectation of the revenue is increasing. So that within five years, it'd be a net zero, that they would have enough money to sustain operations. So we're supplementing um, through the existing budget um, the resources to get them going, but the expectation is that once they go, then they go. So the but once they have the, momentum, they have momentum. So my question was, if that um, is not reached, is there- Yeah, you want to read, Dr. Reddy, if you want to lean in on this now? I just want to clarify just through the chair that the subsidy is not necessarily, at the end of the five years, they would not be paying rent to the city. So the subsidy is not about necessarily paying rent. It's about being able to maintain the, the actual building costs. And I think that that agreement was because we were at a place when the city was at the place where the state wanted to just sell the building and take the money and make the money a community benefit to uh, the neighborhood. So the community asked for the building to be given to given back. So this is our attempt to make sure that the community didn't just get the building with the outstanding renovations and things of that nature. It's to cover the cost of that and make sure to, to support them. Um, the initial thing was two choices, either give the building without any money or support or um, to sell it. And this is an opportunity to see um, about the ability to um, to give the building. And so the subsidy is actually, in my opinion, to cover the cost of uh, deferred maintenance, not so much to cover the cost of rent because there won't be rent at the end of the five years because the building, if all things goes well, if all things go well, would be given back to the operators. Yes, yes, I understand that. Thank you, Director Davis. My question was, if after the five years, that amount of money is not um, obtained, will that type of budget be able to be renewed to do it for another five years? I mean, it, I will say it's gonna depend on um, where we are in five years in terms of who's running what departments, who's running what different things. We're leveraging um, resources that 
were put aside that aren't annualized in the budget. So the money that's being used does not, it's not built into the budget. So in five years, somebody would have to put that money back in. So I would say whether it's the mayor or the board of supervisors, you know, to be honest, this is money from the Dreamkeeper initiative that when this plan was put into place that we put to the side to be able to have access to. And so, um, and, and if I'm honest, some of it had already been um, depleted because people weren't clear on the intent for the funds. So um, it's really gonna depend on the uh, legislative and the administrative body and whoever's in leadership at that time and the community's advocacy around it. Um, I only have a little bit, I have a little bit of money set aside. It's not coming from any of these departments budget. It's coming from money that we set aside specifically for this purpose. Okay, well, I hope you're there in five years. So um, my next thing is it's a, just a comment. And that's um, being that you are from the Office of Community Investment and Infrastructure, just as a woman from San Francisco with children, grandchild, whatnot, I hope that there be some kind of influence with new developments that they be culturally and woman friendly. A lot of the designs of new developments are built with the tech uh, lifestyle in mind. And a lot of times when, let's say, uh, Plaza East, for example, when the new developments are built, people are unable to even fit their furniture, you know, into the new buildings. And a lot of that might sound petty, but it's actually harm to a lot of people that who've, who've had to move to another location, even down to the size of a closet. I live in a techie unit, so I know what that feels like. And also, um, I just wanted to add, uh, I was in South Africa in June, and a South African told me they're so thankful for the Dutch, and I asked them why, and they said when they plan their developments there, they had the people who were going to move into them be present with the planning and the design of them and actually go into the unit they were going to move into and give approval if that's something that they could live with. So, you know, when you can insert that in your meetings, that would be great. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Member Landry. Oh, I'm sorry, please. Yeah, if you, if you don't mind. Yeah, uh, please. Through the chair. Uh, thank you, Ms. Berry. Um, that's an interesting point. Um, we are going to be preparing a survey for the certificate of preference holders to the list to invite them into the design process of one of our projects in Mission Bay on this very specific point to see what their, their needs are around living. So we'll be looking at open space design within the project, unit design, things like closets. Yeah, things are designed smaller just across the board mm -hmm. in the city. More modern kinds of designs are like that. Um, we, OCI and MOHCD, when we build family housing, we develop larger unit types. And that phrase is referring to the number of bedrooms within, within a unit. We try and get as many three and four bedrooms in there. But we also need some of the smaller unit types because you have starter families or folks who are low income, but they don't have large families as well. So just because they're low income and don't have a family, they need a place as well. But we are two unique agencies that design larger unit types within our projects. And that has the... Um, the challenge of reducing the number of units we can produce in a given project. 
And um, but those are the trade-offs that we try and balance. But we trend towards the larger unit types, knowing that the two, three, and four bedrooms are needed um, and can fit a three a three-person household. But you're right, closet designs, you know, stackable laundry, those kinds of things tend to be um, um, smaller designed, more efficiently designed. Um, and that's just the way that things are being designed nowadays. But we try and pay attention to having ample closet space, ample room size, living rooms especially, where people can congregate and people can have their family over, uh, immediate family and extended family for holiday events and those kinds of things. And also designing community rooms in spaces, in buildings, so that you don't have to go off-site to hold just a small family gathering, a birthday party, those kinds of things. Thank you. Member Landry. Yes. Um, thank you, Chair. And again, uh, thank you, Dorn, for being here. Um, so my question in March, I, I believe, or April, we was talking about, and you actually, and, and again, um, appreciate when you came before the policy subcommittee, and we talked about community benefits. Um, I know this issue is going to come up with uh, Director Davis or Dr. Davis, but as a city, we also talked about all the community benefits agreement, and that's a part of one of our recommendations is to audit the city. What's what's happening with OCII on the audit? and producing some type of super document to list everything that doesn't happen uh, since 1945, if that's possible. So we could better respond to um, the reality that Fillmore Center, all these other places within, and not just in the Western edition, of course, all throughout the city. That's question number one. Number two, um, so uh, is OCI taking a position on recommendations that although uh, I heard what you said yesterday at the meeting and even in terms of uh, being, you know, as uh, literally a successor to the redevelopment agents is only so much that OCI can do, but like in terms of 5.4 recommendation, is it official position being taken by OCI on 5.4 recommendation, which includes the Heritage Center, um, of course, again, 2.2 recommendation, which is the community benefits agreements, 1.1 uh, recommendation, which is the black card, which plays into um, all type of resources and give a sentence to um, developers or outside um, participation. That's, that's when we talked about. Yeah, just to get a feel, what is the position of OCII on those particular recommendations? So specific, Ms. Landry, thank you. Um, specifically regarding the community benefits assessments, we would love to partner with an organization similar to, I think, a similar request regarding an economic study, an impact about um, the either the eminent domain or the purchasing actions of early redevelopment on households and the uh, loss of accumulated real estate wealth uh, in today's numbers. Um, that's not a study we can undertake ourselves. We, we don't have the capacity. We're constrained by state law in terms of our activities and what we spend our money on. Uh, but we'd be happy to provide uh, our records, which are confidential, and work with folks to examine them in a way that makes it accessible. We'd be happy to walk with any of you folks into uh, the various foundations uh, to seek funding to, mm -hmm. to, to study those things. So we're in partnership with you to look at those things. Uh, but undertaking th those things ourselves are something we're unable to do due to the constraints of state law. Um, 
your your reference to the black card. Uh, we would love to see how the certificate of preference program can be monetized in some way. Uh, again, we're constrained by state law as to what was in place in 2012 and those um, those rules. We're trying to lean into our certificate of preference program in terms of outreach. That's something we're still able to um, be very active in, and that's outreaching to those to those certificate holders, making sure that they're knowing about the affordable housing opportunities are able to avail themselves of those housing opportunities. Again, I just want to be really clear about what is that preference. It's 100% preference across all of our projects. They get the entire lottery to themselves. If we produce a building that has 100 units in it and 100 qualified certificate of preference holders apply, that will be a certificate of preference building. And so our job is to try and get as many folks, they may not want to live in Mission Bay, and so we get low participation. They may want to live in Bayview, or they may want to live in Fillmore, they may want to live in Trans Bay. We don't know. So we're doing this survey to try and find out where do you want to live? Um, what kind of designs are you interested in so we can make it more attractive for them? Okay, uh, thank you. And um, so in terms of the business certificate of preference, which is big for the Fillmore Harrison Center, because I just, some information was given to me that even one of my relatives actually owned a club, for example, in the Fillmore area, the New Orleans Jazz Club or Swing Club back in the days, right? Um, and again, I, I heard what you said yesterday about Marcus Books. That's wonderful. But what is it? What has I know was the NCLF was not tasked with business certificate of preference to find the business certificate of preference. It was only for certificate of preference for the housing part, right? Correct. Correct. The residential component. So the business certificate of preference, just throwing it out there, what's been done to 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 find these business certificate of preference holders? So a fair amount of work has been done uh, between our agency. In a spirit of reparations, I'm saying, with all this is in spirit of reparations. That's all I'm here for. Okay, let's go. Um, in the spirit of repara reparations for the business certificate program, which is now an expired program for OCII, again, the constraints of state law don't allow us to undertake new programs. But we've been working, uh, and I want to give a shout out to Director Davis about this, uh, and Brittany Chiquada, who have been helping us to try and take that program and try and get it over the city. I want to give a, a shout out to Sarah Dennis Phillips from OEWD, who is actually cooperating with us. And uh, um, Diana De La Ponce and Larry McClendon at that office that's looking at how they can give a preference in some of the city programs for folks who were uh, business certificate holders. There was approximately just under about a thousand businesses that were displaced by redevelopment back in the days that received certificate of preference. And if those folks who, most of them are probably not in business, some are though, uh, perhaps even their descendants could avail themselves of a preference that doesn't exist today in city programs, um, we'd be happy to cooperate and try and get them as much information. Again, we have information, but we have the resources to undertake new programs or put staff time towards it. But HRC and OEWD are willing to try and stand up something there. Okay, my last question is the Senate Bill 563. Um, and first of all, thanks to uh, Scott Weiner and that particular Senate bill. Could you just elaborate a little bit on that? Because I did actually see the workshop uh, at your uh, last meeting, uh, board meeting. And um, just so everybody is clear, because when people ask me about actually the Senate bill, I want to be able to articulate that. Sure, absolutely. Show the benefit. Um, and so Senate Bill 593, 593. replacement housing, Senator Weiner, 
Mayor Linda Breed's leadership because we started with her and she said, yes, try and pursue this. Again, the state can amend state law, right? right which is what they did in this circumstance. And in, in the different project areas in the 50s, 60s and 70s, we built more commercial space Mm -hmm. Then we bit, built residential space. We built more market rate housing than we built affordable housing. And so the state recognized that and said, hey, you displaced nearly 14,000 households, low-income households. Um, maybe not every single one of them were low-income, but households in the, that period. And you need to replace that. And we had been working on that. Again, with the, six, with the 5,842 that remained, we had done the balance of 14,000 up until 2012. So this reestablishes our financing authority to begin financing that affordable housing. So that affordable housing can go in any location. So unlike the affordable housing we've been doing since 2012, which is only in the Hunters Point Shipyard and Candlestick area, the Mission Bay area, and the Trans Bay area, this housing can go into any place in the city. And it was work we were doing prior to 2012. And so our commission just had a workshop just last week on what geographies might be prioritized. So we're gonna prioritize existing project areas where we have land opportunities to fund housing there using this source of funding and also former project areas, as well as the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development's uh, pipeline where they have projects that they're working on that need assistance as well. So we're looking towards the Mayor's Office for Leadership. We're looking for replacement housing in former project areas for opportunities, as well as some of our existing project areas. Thank you. So that's what it does. Thank you. Thank you very much. And, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Chair, and I just wanna yes. recognize Maddie Scott, who's on the line, who was one of the, again, I mentioned earlier in my remarks, led the fight at the legislature, attending all the hearings So I wanna thank her. Excellent, thank you very much. Reverend Brown. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, members of the task force, ladies and gentlemen. Oh. Let us not just focus on the Heritage Building. There's a Muni substation building that should go to us too. Remember the old watering hole was from California fault that's what the city took from us so that belongs to us how to be and don't let nobody else look at it <laughs> Doctor. thank you Reverend Brown look at it. members anyone else before I close and move us forward Mr. Chair just briefly the Office of Community Investment Infrastructure does not own the Muni substation any longer. We did at one point in time, but I believe the city owns it. But uh, Reverend Brown, I receive your comments and I appreciate them. Thank you. Um, so two, just a couple of things. One, on the um, the five, the 5842, um, what's the relative timeline for that? And is will that fall into the same context? And if you say this, I apologize, into the same co context in terms of eligibility for those units, i.e. Um, COP. Um, thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, yes, it would fall into the same preference rubric of certificate of preference having, again, 100% availability of the first preference in the variety of preferences that the city has. Um, the time frame, it's a multi-decade um, endeavor. It is limited by the amount of tax increment 
that the city has available on an annual basis. And so every year, you know, there's a certain amount of money available for all things that the city needs. Um, and I just want to address your question that you had asked earlier to Director yes. Shaw regarding how do you advocate, how do you continue to advocate and keep us accountable for all the things that we've said here, but also new things that may come up. Thank you. Um, I think across the board, um, and there's always room for improvement, um, is the redevelopment agency now OCI has a very robust and rigorous public participation process. We have a commission and we have an oversight board. So we in fact have two public bodies that govern us. Um, and the commission meets twice a month. Um, you can lobby directly to them. You can lobby them as individuals. Um, we also have citizens advisory committees in each one of our project areas and they hold monthly meetings as well. You can attend those meetings. 99.9% .9 of things that we bring to our commission goes to our citizens advisory committee members first. So there's a very grassroots community forum for people to discuss things. And then we have an official discussion, sometimes even in a workshop format, not even in an approval, we do two steps so that the commission and the community can ask questions before they adopt things. So those are two huge opportunities. I find myself very accessible. I have an open door policy. Most people have my cell phone number, you have my email. Um, reach out to me directly. I'm happy to talk to folks uh, about anything that's of concern to OCI and the community. Fantastic. Thank you very much. So, Director Koflowski, uh, Director Shaw, thank you both very much for being with us this evening. Thank you for your continued leadership. We really, um, the community needs that continued leadership, um, understanding that there are <clears throat> parameters and um, navigation that need to happen. We just ask for your continued tenacity um, where that is concerned to ensure that the Black community is well served. So thank you both for coming tonight. We appreciate you. Thank you very much. You have a good evening and thank you for your work. I know it's not easy. So we see you and support you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And with that, we will close this item uh, and let's call item number five. I don't, oh, I just do want to note for the record that we did achieve quorum at 6.03 p.m. To that, tonight. And um, now I would like to um, call item number five, the director's report. This is a discussion item presentation by Cheryl Evans Davis, director of the San Francisco Human Rights Commission, with an update on the Office of Reparations and an update on the Fillmore Heritage Center. There will be public comment on this item. And again, a reminder that public comment should relate specifically to the presentation and committee comment on this item. Is that in five? Because it's late there. Thank you. So she can go um, John, I don't think I'm going to need the slides. I'm I'm just going to go through. I mean, you could go to the one that has the the summary of what um, of the what it is that I said we were going to prioritize uh, in terms of the 15. I think it might be the last slide. I will scroll to the back end and let's find them. There we go. That's, That's it. it. Um, yep. Chair, are you ready for me? Sorry to, to start to. Yes, please. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I will try and move quickly through these. I just want to give updates on the different pieces and I will um, uh, provide space for the chair to give more detail on the conversations last night at the at Third Baptist Church. I think the chair and Reverend Brown can speak to that process and some of what we heard. So um, just wanted to give, I know, um, Director Keslowski mentioned this with regards to the cash payments. And I also want to give a, a, a little bit of a disclaimer at the beginning. I know that there were questions and, and 
kind of the wanting to hit all the things and just want to be honest that um, we don't have the resources or the the capacity or even the uh, infrastructure with regards to legal um, will to do all of the things at this point in time. And so part of that is continuing the, the work. So with that, I will start with the idea around the cash payments um, and leveraging the certificate of preference list. Um, had a conversation with um, the city attorney's office as well as with Director Keslowski and other folks from OCII. The certificate of preference list has over 12,000 um, people on that list. 98% of the folks listed on there are Black, African American. And so we have um, made a decision to, we, I should say, myself in consultation with the city attorney's office to prioritize. Um, moving forward with trying to see what the process would be to do cash payments for um, people on the list over the age of 70. There are currently over 1,700 people on the list over the age of 70. That would be um, a $42 million payout if we were able to get in touch with everyone. We are, as you know, there was um, $4 million over the course of two years allocated specifically for uh, the Office of Reparations. We are in the process of looking at a couple of different things. What would it take to um, build a system and hopefully be by the January meeting, the city attorney's office will have an outline of what it would look like for us to be able to roll this out next year in terms of cash payments, um, what that would look like for folks that are still living on that list, and then to begin to move down the list and say, uh, if we were going to serve more people, but just knowing that we need to start somewhere, we have prioritized folks 70 and older on the certificate of preference list. Um, we've had some conversations with the attorney in Evanston who built the legal structure to do those cash payments, the initial first cash payments for that in the country. And so we have um, had some of those conversations and um, have, as I said, mentioned, as I mentioned, worked with the, um, the deputy city attorney assigned to the HRC as well. Um, with regards to the Fillmore Heritage Center, we've talked about that a little bit tonight, but um, yes, we're very excited about the potential to bring um, Marcus bookstores in. And again, the, the idea would be that there would be no cost for Marcus bookstores to come into that space, that we would um, help with whatever support they needed to, to go into the space um, and that they would not be charged rent to be in the space. Um, so wanted to just say that about the Heritage Center and um, I'll leave it to the chair and Reverend Brown to say more about the meeting. Um, last night. Uh, lastly, just wanted to, before I run through the full on list, wanted to say that um, the conversations around the HBCU satellite that we're building on um, previous work and conversations that the mayor had been um, having with the White House initiatives on HBCUs, uh, as well as um, the recommendations that came from the Dreamkeeper initiative, but that wanted to be very clear that um, the work of this body really validated and created the space to advance and continue that work. Um, we've been in conversation with the United Negro College Fund 
as well as several different HBCUs. We're looking to host an HBCU convening of HBCU leadership on February 2nd, um, and then also looking to host an HBCU, uh, Bay Area HBCU alumni um, and Divine Nine reception on that date. Um, we are working with the various uh, HBCUs. They've identified people that they would like to be in contact with and that they think would make it beneficial for them to consider hosting a satellite here in San Francisco. Um, working with the United Negro College Fund, we're looking to host 15 to 20 HBCU students for internships uh, in areas of interest identified by the various HBCUs, which include STEM, agriculture, including cannabis, pharmacology, um, government, AI, environmental sciences, and education. Um, and then hopefully at the next meeting, I know Joelle and Kathy have been working with, um, with team members on the, uh, the war on drugs audit and have put together some, uh, at least spreadsheets that can help with some of the, the work that folks have asked for. And so again, if not next month, then for sure in January, we can give more concrete information. Now, just moving through all of the different recommendations that were shared before, the formal apology, um, Supervisor Walton is working on that and crafting um, a resolution or legislation or something to go in and be introduced at the Board of Supervisors. Um, with regards to the Office of Reparations, uh, given the limited amount of funds, I have been working on like the staffing piece and then also um, trying to understand um, how some of those dollars could be used to get uh, cash disbursement out to some of the seniors. Um, support with statewide reparations. Um, this is where a staff member could help to make sure that we're coordinating and supporting and doing some level of project management. So again, hoping to leverage some of those funds for that. Landmark preservation is one that we'll have to come back to and hopefully give an update in the next meeting. The Black Historical Cultural Centers, there is currently funding under the Human Rights Commission and RFQ out um, to build culturally affirming spaces that would focus and prioritize on um, Black historical cultural centers and being able to support. Um, we've talked to some faith-based as well as community centers who are interested in applying on that. The gun violence, gun violence intervention model, we have been having some conversations with community members as well as um, uh, the DA's office, as well as um, some, uh, specifically some mothers uh, uh, whose children were killed, uh, who have asked to kind of lead and be a, a, in a leadership role on that work. So we're moving that forward. Um, declare community violence as a public health crisis. Um, we're looking into this and I just wanna double check. I feel like the EPH started that process maybe a couple years ago and we'd like to find out where they are in that culturally responsive substance abuse services. Um, we've been working with DPH and some community members on how to be intentional in that regard. Uh, and then the last two, I will say, increase voter civic, um, vote and civic engagement and participation, as well as um, efforts to repeal Prop 209. Um, those are things where um, the other piece that I would add to that, that's not on here, but that we'd really love to have this committee help build out or at least think about how to move forward is what is the what is the, the private sector body that is able to do the fundraising, help get additional dollars or push the push the envelope on things where the city might not be willing to do. And so I think that there is a, a need for some of these to think about 
um, whether there is a fundraising effort or there's an entity set up that is able to do additional dollars and move that forward. So I will, I will stop there and um, thank you for your time. Thank you, Director Davis. Um, so let's go to please public comment and then we'll come back to comments and questions of members. Are there any of the members of the public attending in person who would like to comment on Director Davis's report? Okay, are there any members of the public attending remotely who would like to comment on the content of Director Davis's report? Please use the raise hand icon. Okay, I do see Dennis. Good evening. Um, thank you, Ms. Davis, for your report. Although it's well put together, um, I see one thing missing. And again, it's in the real estate development sector, one of the highest paying um, sectors in the community, as you know, in San Francisco. And as Ms. Berry spoke, um, another uh, leader and a queen of our community stated of the size of her unit and different things, disparities that she has, as well as many in the community. That is why we do need black developers, black contractors and black truckers involved. And we need them done now, especially as Reverend um, Amos Brown spoke eloquently about the building on Fillmore Street, which is ours. I would love to um, sit down and talk to you about it, uh, Reverend, and see if we can come together as a developer myself and see what we can do, because that mini park should have been included with that as well as McDonald's, which is uh, harming our community with that um, poisonous food. In my uh, opinion, that would have done well as uh, well for affordable housing, really affordable for preference um, preference holders, and it would have been a, a big um, undertaking. So um, yes, that is the um, that is all I will say on that right now. But development is is very key because again, from Sunnydale, Patrol Hill, uh, all the way back down to Fillmore billions of dollars are going out of our communities in the hands of wealthy Chinese developers, wealthy out-of-state uh, white developers, and none into the Black uh, community's hands. And that's egregious. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Now I'd like to welcome Cheryl Thornton. Can you unmute yourself, Cheryl? Okay, it seems like we're having technical difficulty with Cheryl's um, unmuting. Uh, Cece Horton, can you unmute yourself? Yeah, uh, I wanted to comment on Director Davis's report. I, I thought it, it is lacking a bit as a regards to, you know, it, it, I think she had, she mentioned a key point about the limitations of when we go through these public private entities, you know, uh, the gentleman said earlier that the state can amend state law. And what I've heard from not only Ms. Davis, but the, the, the prior gentleman comments is that we're being apprehended now in California by what appears to be a modern day Jim Crow law. And it's halting everything that this committee is trying to do move the needle forward. But yet we're in a sanctuary city that provides benefits to people who are not even citizens. 
you got to think about that whole concept. But with Ms. Davis, what I wanted to mention is that I, I think we're missing this very key component of us being able to do for ourselves in the midst of this whole movement. Something has to come out of this to where the two million black Americans that live in this state can come together, whether it be through a state funded entity where we can put our own funds into a pot to go along with whatever these folks have built. Because just as just as Ms. Barry said earlier, you you better hope these people be around in five years. You better hope they be around in 10 years, because if they're not, all this is going to go away and we can't afford to keep making these same mistakes. Somebody's got to wake up on this panel and realize that this is a repeat cycle for our people. We've never been this dependent on a government entity. You know, the government's done us wrong. Our most beneficial uh, opportunity in this moment right now is to seize the ability to do for ourselves in the midst of holding these people accountable because we don't have leverage. We're missing the leverage. That's why the Chinese and all these other communities come here and they run the boards in the city. They got leverage. At the end of the day, we have a, a community that spends $1.5 trillion in the U.S. It's time to bring those dollars back and build communities. As the brother said, the developer, we need developers and truckers. He's, we don't, we're not even involved in public. Thank you for your comments. Your time has expired. Now I'd like to welcome Ace Washington. Okay, uh, can you hear me? Yes. Hello there. Well, hello. I'd like to give honors to Dr. Director Cheryl Davis. She's been a wonderful access to our community ever since she's been in our community in the Western District. After saying that, now let me talk about what I want to talk about. I don't have time right now for two minutes to tell what I want to say, but I would like to uh, suggest that I sit down with all the department heads, the movers, the shakers, and the policymakers, because we are in a new era, and we have no time for errors. Uh, uh, we, do have, we do have general public comment on items. Well, on well, well this, this is well, this is not general. It's directed to Cheryl Davis. I gave homage to her. Now I'm telling her and all the rest of them directors sitting in there that Ace on the case need to sit down with them. I can't talk about what I want to talk about in two minutes. Just like the brother said earlier, there's got to be some kind of leverage put in, in our community. Excuse me, I'm getting excited now because I know my time is getting up. But I would like to sit down with, with all the policymakers, OCII, the mayor's office, OEWD, Cheryl Davis, everybody, and find out what the hell is going on. Because I, I just listened to what's happening. Thank you. I, uh, Thank you, this. We have to really focus on what the presentation was. Thank you. Now I would like to welcome Angela A. Good evening, everyone. Um, I just want to make a, an across-the-board um, comment um, for this presentation as well as any others that come forth. And some of this is a repeat from past meetings. One, one I think the, the major one that I have is there are Black people that live all over San Francisco, not just in Bayview, Hunters Point, or Fillmore. And I know you, you want to prioritize these areas but I just want to request and remind you all that you have to also make sure that you are being inclusive of us who do not live in those areas. And I know 
inclusivity was one of the points that was raised in a prior meeting that the goal was to be inclusive rather than exclusive. So that's point one. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up is that I'm seeing that seniors are being um, indicated as starting at age 70. And I'm wondering why that is, especially since, since typically seniors are seniors typically start at age 65 and even for Social Security age 62. So I'm hoping that that can be modified. And that's my comment for this particular issue. Thank you. Thank you, Angela. Now I'd like to welcome, see if Cheryl Thornton can unmute her microphone. Okay, we're going to move on to Maddie Scott. Good evening, um, everyone. Thank you for a Bye. very powerful um, meeting. Thank you. Commissioner Davis, for, for your plans of action. Uh, and um, I just wanted to definitely, you mentioned the contact any mothers to be involved. We, we would definitely like to be um, involved in the process with you to help you in any way um, with the violence prevention piece model. So um, that's one area that we're, we're looking uh, at. And thanks, thanks to uh, everyone that I, uh, yes, mother, you did. Excuse me. My, my, my mother's eating her dinner. So <clears throat> I'm just grateful for everything that I've heard tonight and um, from uh, um, Thor and the Office of the Mayor of Housing uh, Development. We're, as you all know, we're moving forward in Freedom West um, and have helped uh, support the bill with Scott Weiner, 593. And I'm glad that um, you asked that question, uh, Daniel Landry and got clarification yeah. on it. Um, but um, we're here to help and support you in any way that we can. So um, my hats off to all of you for a, a job well done, Reverend Brown and everybody that's on the, the uh, reparations committee. Yeah. Thank you. Nah, Thank you. Um, now I'd like to welcome Kamji Ensley. Hello. Oh, can I be heard? Yes. Yes, we can hear you. Um, can I be heard? Yes. Okay, thank you. Um, yes. Um, so my question um, to the uh, last presentation that was given, um, I hear the um, priority is going to be given to our seniors um, 70 and older, but I heard her um, uh, specify a specific, I guess, program, a certificate of something. She mentioned a program of people um, to be prioritized um, in that particular program. Program. And I just once again want to stick to the proposal of the reparations task force and um, that age group being prioritized is excellent, but I want it to be done across the board for all seniors in that age bracket that qualify because some of our seniors um, 
are in their 70s and 80s, and they've had to move with their children at this point. So for a lot of our seniors that lived in the city, they are now living with us as Generation Xers. And so they are no longer living in San Francisco, but they have been in San Francisco for all of their lives. They fit all the qualifications for reparations. So I think that if we're gonna prioritize that age bracket, then we need to stick within those reparations qualifications. And it needs to go to all those seniors that qualify for reparations in San Francisco within that age bracket. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Um, now I would like to welcome uh, Stick Broadnax. Can you hear me? Yes, thank you. Sir. Yes, can... I like to thank each and well, each and every one of you on the reparation committee, Ms. Davis, uh, for the good job that you all have been doing under the circumstances. But I'm I I, I want to ask the same question that the young lady said a while ago. I want to know that are the same people that you had on reparation that will qualify over 70, because I'm over the 70 years old, do we still have to be in that same qualification? Uh, how are they going to do that? And another thing, we as a people, to me, need more people in positions. We have to be careful with our voting and start voting people in that's gonna do the right thing. We already don't have that many black people here on the Jeff Street. So let us just really, really start sticking together. We need to be like glue. I mean, because if not, this, this stuff been put on me from the time I was born almost. This reparation. If now the, the federal government promised a reparation, the state promised a reparation. The city now, ah, uh, look, these people do not want to give black people anything. They want us to be slaves just like they brought us here. So don't ever think we're going to get anything easy in this country, the United States, where you can send $500 billion across the sea but you can't take care of your people right here in the city. What is wrong with us as being black and being in a city where there's nothing but and we built it? Thank you for your comment. Your time has expired. Um, now we'll try Cheryl Thornton one more time. Good evening. Hi. So my question is around the Hope SF sites. Um, so many of the families that live in the Hope SF sites um, are um, products of the San Francisco Unified School District. And so there is a very high rate of high school dropout rates. And the reason I bring this up is because San Francisco being a technological um, city with high uh, performing jobs, high-grade jobs. How will, um, so in the affordable housing um, 
AMIs, the lower you go to the bottom, the fewer units that are available. Because the way the structure works, they have to pay, the, you know, the de developers have to make money. So they have to have, um, they have to have somebody to offset those co that cost. So with the people that currently are living in these Hope SF sites, a lot of times they're in lower paid jobs. And so there's few, fewer units available. So I want to like to know how is Hope SF going to continue to reinvest in the um, community to help these people to raise them up out of poverty by maybe um, offering more services around, more outreach around getting your GED and maybe getting some kind of certificates from City College to improve your um, employment status so that you will qualify for some of this affordable housing. And then the other thing is, has anybody prepared a chart for the average income by ethnicities in these public housing units to see and how many, how many lower, how, I'm sorry. I think this is for an earlier presentation. I don't think this is connected to this presentation. Okay. Thank you for your comments. Um, I see a Galaxy 521G phone listed. Uh, hello, can you hear me? Yes. Yes, I, I just have a simple question. How do you sign up for the respiration? I'm 74 years old, grew up in the city and went through school in the city. Uh, I'm on, uh, they, they send me the, the, uh, the emails out when they're having meetings, but uh, I don't know if that uh, signs me up for the res respiration or is there uh, Sir, sir a certain protocol that I need to go through to sign up for it? Okay, the comments about um, should be directed towards Director Davis's presentation, and um, we're not allowed to directly respond to questions. So I'm going to move on to the next commenter. Okay. Bloodline business. Yes, can I be heard? Yes, we can hear you. Thank you so much. I'm in transit right now, so bear with me. Yes, uh, my comment is for the uh, the direct cash payment. Uh, I heard $4 million um, tonight from the lady, I believe, uh, Ms. Davis. And I just want to make sure the main thing is the main thing. And uh, the proposal stated that it was going to be $5 million lump sum um, direct cash payment, um, definitely tax exempt. Um, I just want to make sure that uh, that proposal is going to be buttoned up and it won't be tampered with because definitely um, our fellow Black Americans um, in San Francisco, we definitely need that direct cash payment. I'm hearing certificates, I'm hearing awards, I'm hearing stipend, I, I don't wanna, like, we don't need that. We need the $5 million direct cash payment. Also, uh, to our senior citizens, um, one uh, lady that uh, called in, she, uh, she definitely went over uh, the age um, qualification for the seniors. Um, I believe Mrs. Davis stated 70, um, and normally, um, I believe the number, uh, the minimum number is what, 65, I believe. And uh, like uh, Ms. Ansley stated that, you know, most of the, uh, most of the uh, seniors um, here in San Francisco, um, they're definitely with their children now, as in, you know, being caretaken by their, by their children. 
And I would love for the seniors and that family, um, for said daughter uh, and her husband or uh, her son and his wife and, and children, go ahead and get a look at the uh, um, direct cash payment qualification. Um, uh, I believe it's uh, 1700 I believe. Seventeen hundred out of ninety thousand, something like that. And I heard certificates. Pardon me, I'm in transit. I'm, I'm all flustered right now, but yeah, that was my comment. Thank you so much. Sorry about that. We're having a difficult time hearing Thank you, you sir. sir. Thank you. Thank you. Um, are there any other members of the public who would like to comment on this item? If you are in chamber, you can approach the dais. If you are attending online, you can raise your hand. Okay, Chair, I do not see any other members of the public. Thank you. Seeing none, public comment is closed. Uh, we'll come to committee. Um, and uh, again, we want to hear from everyone who'd like to speak and or ask questions of Director Davis and keep in mind the time. Thank you so much. Member Barry. Thank you, Chair. And earlier, I didn't get to acknowledge we got former Supervisor Avalos in the chambers, and it's nice to see someone that's interested in our meetings and also fights for reparations in the Democratic Party. So my question is to Director Davis on her presentation, which I thank you for because a lot of us wonder what happened after the report. So it's good to know there are some updates. And my first question is, in reference to the gun violence intervention model that you uh, had in your presentation, is it based off the one of the Office of Neighborhood Safety in Richmond, California that was very successful? Yes, so we had been working with Devon Bogus, who was, yes, Devon, um, who was the, the, the creator of that program in Richmond. Um, initially had tried to do it similar to uh, the way that it was done in Richmond, but there's no more mayor's office of neighborhood services and there's not an official office of public safety. So he, along with David Muhammad and some other folks are helping us. Um, we had tried to launch it previously and folks may remember there were just all these headlines around, um, we were paying criminals to not commit crimes and we got a lot of, um, in the office, like just ridiculous um, threats of violence against us if we wouldn't, yeah. So we, we had to relaunch and we're in that process now figuring out how to do this uh, in a way that is impactful, but had been working with the, the creator of the, the Richmond project. Thank you very much for that. Um, my next question is, when you say we, because you say we um, are going to prioritize cash payments for seniors who received a certificate of preference. Who is we that made that decision? That is, we as in um, myself, along with the city attorney's office and um, OCII and other places. Uh, and so this is why, again, I will just say um, the body can decide how they would like to move outside of the city. I don't have access to the dollars outside of going through a city process and the, the, the city attorney's office, the controller's office, I have to do things that in a way that they will approve in order to move forward, right? So um, when we think about a certificate of preference list, even though it's 98% black people, it is not race-based. And that is something that is easier to move. And so I've been looking at what are the ways that I can get the city attorney's office, the controller's office 
to um, collaborate and that we can all align to actually move, begin the process. So that that's what I mean when I say we, it's the HRC in uh, conversation and collaboration with other city departments that make a decision about what I can and can't do. Okay, thank you. Also, will that lead to once we get all those people with their cash payment, will it then go to seniors who do not have certificate of preferences? Yeah, I mean, I, I will say the hope here is that we do it in this structure and get it set up and understand what the challenges might be. And then, uh, yes, there's the, the potential to continue moving down the list. There's the potential to expand the list. There's the potential to, the potential to include people that aren't on the list. All of those are, or options and some of the things that we actually have been building out and understanding at each step, what's the next thing that we can add or change or do to expand um, opportunities. Okay, and my last question, Dr. Davis, you mentioned that um, staffing is gonna be considered for the Office of Reparations. Has the mayor released the funds for that office? And if not, when will that be anticipated? So I think the I think the delicate dance here is for me around like advancing the work, um, and, and uh, as they say, you know, which I never I need to look it up the word semantics like they sometimes say like we talk about it's how we say it. I think that I'm focusing on staffing. Um, and I think the question is. And I will say it from from my perspective as the the person responsible with um, from the department side moving the work forward. I can focus on trying to advance the office of reparations, or I can focus on advancing reparations. And I choose the latter. Um, the committee may not agree with that, and other folks may not. Um, I'm focused on how to get the money out and actually have it maybe end up in somebody's bank account versus have it sit in the city while we debate over whether it's an office or whether it's staff and advancing the work. Thank you. And I'll just ask that um, the slide we were shown didn't mention cash at all to seniors. So if that could be added in the future or somewhere where people can see that it will help the public to know that there is some effort in that direction. Definitely. Sorry, those slides are from last time. I did not um, prepare slides for tonight, so I will make sure that we work on that. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Member Berry. Um, Member Irving. Thank you. Um, hi, Director Davis. I missed the beginning part of your presentation, so I apologize, but I am a, so I assume that the list, the bulleted list that we saw um, were just progress updates simply, and I'm not sure if those were the ones that were prioritized or and there more or that's the total list of so those are the sorry those are the ones that um i initially shared i guess last month what month is this um i shared previously as the things that um i thought were short-term uh efforts that we could advance uh and so that is the list of things that uh, that I plan on the department to continue to move forward. And then over the next, um, between now and January, let's say I can go back through the list again and we can continue to do updates or let you know where we are with uh, regards to 
the full recommendations, but no, that is just the initial list. Awesome. Um, for on Okay. So from that list, um, I was wondering what resources come with declaring a public health crisis. So I know that, um, the health committee, we put this up there after talking to the community, we want to make sure we declared and the sub, the sub recommendations that came under that would be things that could address it, like that come with it, the resources that come with um, health crisis. But I started to Google it and look it up and I can't see anything clear. So do you know what would be coupled with declaring a public health crisis? I mean, I think there are two paths that could potentially happen here. One is where in the past we've seen the Department of Public Health talk about gun violence as a public health crisis or other things where it literally isn't, I don't want to belittle it, but it's, it's, it's a statement, right? Like it's a statement that then could be referred to or whether it is something like um, what we saw during the pandemic and what we saw with regards to the Tenderloin where you can say it is a public health crisis. But I think in that instance, it was uh, an emergency related crisis. And in that one, then it triggers the release of other document, other resources. I think the, the question here is, and so I'm glad you asked that question because that is clarifying and it's something that I can ask you well and Zach to help with because I thought it was more about a statement than it was about the um, release of dollars. And so to understand that we can definitely work on uh, times when things have been issued, when a statement has been issued or a declaration of crisis has been issued uh, and what has, uh, what it's triggered. But I think there's a difference between a statement and a declaration of a crisis, but a emergency cri emergency related crisis. Yeah, and I, I think that in my opinion, and Reverend Brown, you can correct me if I'm wrong, when we asked for that, um, and I guess that's why we were listing all the other things, that it comes with something, right, other than a declaration. So um, my ask is that as we go back out, and I know this is the some of the first things that um, the HRC is trying to help progress, is that we can attach some resources and trigger some resources that will come with the declaration, even if it's, I mean, we can discuss what that looks like, um, maybe even revisiting, but I just don't want it to get lost on a statement. Um, and I guess with, with that, one of the things that I didn't see on the list, and I know that's an initial list, was mental health and pathways to mental health, which completely encompass the substance abuse, the violence, like all of that oftentimes goes back to mental health. And so wondering where is mental health resources and services that are culturally responsive in our in the updates? Has it been talked about? And lastly, environmental cleanup. Have we talked any, you know, and I, again, initial, but have any of those things surfaced? So specific to the mental health piece, we are in conversations um, well, we've actually received funding from DPH through the Human Rights Commission for mental health services and programming. There is an RFQ out right now for culturally affirming practices focused on that. And then we are working with some national black led mental health services. So we're very intentional around building that out and leveraging funding uh, to focus on the mental health but from a culturally affirming space for the black community. Um, I will say um, with regards to, sorry, what was the next one? Um, 
anything about this environment, the environmental cleanup. So I'm sticking to health this time around, really thinking about, you know, we have all the, we'll have our cultural preservation, we'll have some substance abuse, but we know what's happening in parts of the city like the Bayview um, that are just killing off our people and wondering if environmental cleanup was a part of any of the initial discussions. So um, with that regard, we are working with the Tyrone Jew from the Department of Environment, as well as recently this week held a, or maybe it was last week, we held a meeting with the woman from um, the Department of Energy from um, the federal level to talk to us about the funding and the opportunities available there. And um, the HBCU partners that we have engaged with are very interested in elevating and talking about environmental sciences um, and cleanup and research and development and coming in and making recommendations um, with the HBCU students that may be, um, for lack of a better word, stationed here. So it is definitely on the radar. We're just trying to figure out how to be very intentional around that work. Thank you. Thank you. Reverend Brown and then Member Landry. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, members of the task force. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> Dr. Davis, you indeed are deserving of great applause for the manner in which you kept many balls going, didn't drop them doing an effective, efficient, and excellent job. I just want to add that your notion regarding the HBCU satellite campuses is very dear to me because that preacher, Reverend Allen Allensworth from Kentucky, who also served as pastor of the historic Union Baptist Church of Cincinnati, Ohio, where he succeeded Charles Satchel. Charles Satchel is the great grandfather of, of Shirley Graham, W.B. Du Bois's wife. I'm citing all this history to say that we have a great legacy here, and we would be hooking up to that legacy because. Colonel Reverend Allen Allensworth envisioned in 1908, the very year that that terrific race riot took place in Springfield, Illinois, that motivated Mary White Overington, who wasn't black, but she heard about the riot. And she's the one who called W.B. Du Bois, Ida B. Wells, Adam Clayton Powell Sr. and others together. Back to my point about the school. Allensworth envisioned replicating Tuskegee Institute down there in 1908. That same year that riot took place in Springfield, Illinois. So we need to have a rebirth we need to have a renaissance of the mind being elevated in all our endeavors. So let's go for it in terms of that satellite campus. 
And next, permit me to say, we must, as Ms. Irvin has stated here, put health at the top of the list. That's some low hanging fruit because we are the sickest people and the facts reveal that. I don't need to give a litany of all of the ailments that we suffer from disproportionately so. If we're the sickest, we won't be around to get any money, spend any money, or invest any money. The mental health piece, the physical health, and environmental health, that's low-hanging fruit. And this health department has some mega bucks around that we have not gotten our fair share of that we need to go after and get those funds also from other sources, whether it's public or private, in order that we may be fit as a fiddle and robust to be great achievers. So thank you again. Let's move forward. And remember, don't forget, February is our target date. Make sure that center is open. And we look forward to that bookstore being open. And I have four books here I'm going to recommend tonight. I don't know if I can do it right now, Mr. Chairman, that all of us on this task force should read as a reference for all that we will have done and also for inspiration for oncoming generations to come into that center. And we will get a mantra going, soundbite. Read, baby, read. Learn, baby, learn. We only spend 17 minutes reading. Three to four hours, though, looking at that tube. Uh, some of these contraptions. So we got to enlighten our population. Every one of us ought to read. The Troubled Life of Peter Burnett, the first governor of this state who's caused a lot of this misery that's happened to us. Next, redemption. The last battle of the Civil War. It explains that what's happening now with Mr. Trump, it's not the first time, but back in 1875, at Clinton, Mississippi, September the 4th, over 50 black people were massacred uh, racist Democrats were mad over the fact that James Caldwell, who also was assassinated, and you know how they trapped him into a store, and when he turned his back, they shot my brother from Mississippi. Your roots go back there. They shot him 40 times, 40 times. But in this book is mentioned where he raised up and said, you thought that you were getting rid of a sullen, ignorant Negro, but you shot a man of great dignity, pause and power who would not bow to your racism. Next, I got two more. Josiah Henson. An inspiration for Harriet Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom's Cabin. 
America's messed our minds up and told us a lie about Uncle Tom, as it always has. But Josiah Henson was the real Uncle Tom in the flesh. That's where Harry Beecher stole, stole his autobiography. And she was the one who got the credit. This has often happened with us. We've done great things, but other folks get the credit. But you must read this book. It'll be a wild moment, and you won't put it down when you open it until you finish it. And then finally, uh, a comprehensive work here. The Dream Dancers, an American reflection upon past, present, and future by Spencer Jourdain. So my friends, let us concretize, bring the life, Reverend Alan Allensworth, spirit of having a movement to help our young people be enlightened. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, for letting old preacher go along. Thank you, sir. We, we appreciate the history lesson. Um, all right. Uh, Member Landry. Yes. Uh, yeah. Through the chair. Thank you. Um, thank you, Dr. Davis. Um, so I have um, four questions. I guess one is more so a comment and then I'm done. Uh, so the community benefits agreement, as you know, uh, was part of the um, first and second reactivation of the Fillmore Heritage Center. I would just like to know in terms of the buildup to um, March or February, Black History Month, <laughs> Um, and opening the Heritage Center, what, what is the plan to uh, ensure that the uh, CBA is, is a part of the partnership agreement? And also, what is the agreement? If we have gotten to that point, I know we talk about negotiations and, and them type of things, but I wanted to just really be clear about that community benefits agreement. Um, that's dear to me because um, as a member of the NCLF, me and this young man right here, Rico, we uh, helped put together the community benefits agreement um, plan in 2018, which was adopted by the community. And number two, will the garage be a part of the transfer mm. in terms of? Member Landry, can we go one at a time? I'm going to tell you quite honestly, okay, cool. I, uh, <laughs> I remember all four, if you put them all at the same time. So can we go one at a time? Yes, ma'am. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Sorry, it's it's almost midnight and I have not slept in, in two days. So I'm just, um, cause now I think I forgot. Oh, the community benefit agreement. Um, so negotiate. No, go ahead, go ahead, Dr. Davis. Thank you. The, the community benefit agreement that the negotiation for the actual space is being done by the Department of Real Estate and in partnership with the MOCD. And so with regards to what the expectation is and how that's going to be built into the contract or the lease negotiations, that is something that I would have to check in with the Department of Real Estate on uh, and how they are um, how they're including that into uh, lease negotiations. I'm really much more on the um, supporting on the financial side of it. Hmm. Okay. Second. 
And so the second question was the garage being a part of that. Maybe that's a part of that. You answered that. Is that the, the Department of Real Estate? The garage is still kind of separate. And that's another piece that they'll have to um, figure out. But that there are some things that are already in place for the garage that will, from my understanding, continue. Okay. And so for the like the black card, you know, that I brought up earlier, how would that play into the Fillmore Heritage Center? Because we try to ensure for the second reactivation that the community would get a different rates, et cetera, et cetera, to utilize the space on that corridor. And so I think there are a couple things that come to my mind. Again, I have not checked in with the operators. I've not checked in with real estate and other folks, but um, I, I think that they are all in for giving special rates and, and discounts for a community. They also are all in for like, how do they make this fiscally um, possible, right? To be able to make sure that they are able to, um, to take ownership of that building. And so I think that that is a delicate, a delicate balance um, in terms of being able to um, open the space community, but also being able to make money and rent the space out or hold their own events and so um again i'm not i'm not negotiating the the activation directly once they sign the lease beginning in march right. and lastly uh dr davis and thank you um for those three um answers uh so i i you know i love the meeting that took place at third baptist and i just as a suggestion i think um as everyone know, in our community, transparency is a must. Otherwise, things can get real ugly real quick. Um, maybe just as a suggestion to consider is having update meetings ongoing up to um, the time negotiations is final and the Heritage Center is open uh, completely just to <laughs> keep the community abreast to every step of the way. And, that, and, and, and again, we're Appreciate um, that meeting and all the work you have done, Dr. Davis. I yield my time to Rico. He has a question. Uh, hey, uh, Director Davis, um, my question is, so since we're going to be sunsetting soon, how can we all or anyone on the task force that want to get involved with any of those items that you have listed, how can we get involved? That is a really good question. I, I will tell you, um, you know, we've been trying to put up different um, community advisory kind of groups and committees, things of that nature. I think maybe one of the, the ask of this committee could be, um, even though the committee is going to sunset, maybe asking, if not monthly, at least maybe quarterly for community um meetings or updates to be put in place and for opportunities for folks to engage. I, I don't know, I'm just kind of um, spitballing at this point, but I, I would say if there's something that folks are directly interested in, um, you know, please, please let me know. Um, I think the, the thing that I am most interested in is like moving work forward. And I just, um, trying to think about how to say this, but like, I don't, I don't have um, a lot of patience for drama and just like um, 
debating for debate's sake. You know, we may not always agree, but I just want to try and as they, as tech companies do, you go forward, you fail, you pivot, you do better, you try and improve. And I just want to make sure that we keep things moving because I'm worried that if we do slow down, um, we're going to stop. And so however we can do this in a way that um, keeps the ball moving, uh, I'm all for Doc Davis. Yes, Brown. I would like to suggest that we would have Harambe time, quarterly Harambe time, the gathering time for the village and keep this going. And that would be a way for us to bridge the gap between those brothers and sisters who are from the motherland who live here in the Northern California area. That came out in the meeting yesterday that they wanted to be informed and involved with the family. And, and many of them who are citizens, we should embrace them. They embrace Dr. Du Bois and others, and even places like uh, Ghana. They are providing dual citizenship is coming up and also Kenya. And let's remember all of that wealth that's over there in Africa. That's the largest continent and the wealthiest in terms of natural resources. And we can't let, we can't let, they can have some, but we can't let China have over, over. Thank you. And that's what's happening in some of those areas. All right. Nigeria and Ghana. Thank you, sir. The East Coast. I just want to make it very clear to those the listening abroad, you know, the low hanging fruit, the Fillmore Heritage Center, you may hear us talk about a lot, but please believe me, each and every one, and I think I can speak for all of the members here on this task force, we're not neglecting or not paying attention to the city as a whole. Yes, yes. This body represents black San Francisco. So this is not about just us selectively choosing an area and, you know, and going from there, like it was been said many times over in, in previous meetings, we're just focusing on the low hanging fruit. So whether it's OMI, whether it's black people in avenues, we're focused on black San Francisco. So I just wanted to make that a part of the record um, because uh, this is not that type of thing. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Davis, yes, please. I just want to piggyback on what member Landry just said, because, you know, we are trying to help folks who want to be at the Embarcadero and raise black presence. And we're trying to help people that want to be in the war for that want to be in the avenues that are all across the city. So just I think that um, the only reason that we have called out specifically the Heritage Center is because of um, History. The location and the longstanding history, but that, yes, indeed, we are trying to allocate and make funds available for folks all across the city. Excellent. Thank you, Director Davis. Um, with that, we will close this item. Uh, thank you, Director Davis, for staying up late with us. We appreciate you, as always. Um, let me ask us to go back then to item number two. Let's approve. Um, while we still have quorum. 
Okay. Item number two is adoption of the September 11, 2023 regular meeting minutes. This is a discussion and possible action item. Um, we will review, or this is the review and anticipated adoption of video recordings and meeting minutes from the African American Reparations Advisory Committee September 11, 2023 meeting. There will be public comment and committee comment on this item. Are there any members of the public attending in person who would like to comment on the September 11, 2023 meeting minutes? Are there any members of the public attending remotely who would like to comment on this item? Chair, I do not see any. Seeing none, public comment is closed. Members, I'd entertain a motion. Member Barry. Um, I realize we only have a couple meetings left, but I would like for the meet minutes to be a little bit more um, clear on what's voted on, what uh, type of information was said, not so brief, but um, I'll be voting yes. Actually, I move to vo vote yes on the minutes, but just request that there have more detail in the future. Thank you. Is there a second? Second. All right. Uh, all in favor? Aye. Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, all right, let's then move quickly to item number four. And I promise to be brief. Item number four is the chair report. Promise to be the same. It's a presentation by Eric McDonald, chair of the African-American Reparations Advisory Committee and Tanish Hollins, vice chair of the African-American Reparations Advisory Committee. There will be public comment on and committee comment on the silent item. Thank you. Um, so just a few things. Um, one, uh, following the September 19th um, hearing with the full board, um, there have been a few, not with all, but a few conversations with individual uh, board of Supervisors um, focused on asking them to be accountable for identifying, reviewing the report, identifying the recommendations that um, align with work that they are committed to doing, appreciating that everybody's interested in all areas of the report, um, but to do that and to be accountable for it. The few that we met with said, yes, they would take that on. Again, we did not meet with all of them. And so what I'll be doing is following up with some of you to ask you to have some of those conversations with those that we've not met with. Um, to ask them to be similarly accountable. That was one. Um, number two, um, the, as Director Davis already referenced, Supervisor Walton is working on uh, a resolution for an apology. Um, the timing, it looks like the timing will be um, an introduction in January and then a February um, adoption. Um, that's roughly the intention. If that shifts, I certainly will try and update everyone. Um, number three, there is, um, as we've talked about since the beginning of our work together, the need for continued advocacy. There are currently conversations both about local as well as at intersection of local and statewide advocacy. And so the Social Justice Equity Center, um, Lisa Holder Shop, um, at the state level, um, there's money being sought from both the 
California Black Freedom Fund, as well as San Francisco Foundation, as well as the California Community Foundation um, to support that work. Again, trying to connect the dots of advocacy um, so that there is a ideally a growing voice of um, both Black folks and allies advocating for reparations, both at the local and state level. One thing being at least explored um, is to connect the dots, for example, between the work in San Francisco, the work in Palm Springs, and then the work at the state level, almost as a demonstration project for the the efficacy, if you will, uh, of reparations. Um, So more to come on that. But again, want to continue and and, sorry, connecting a dot and having that um, in some ways lead towards leveraging the 2024 election, right? Um, Because that's, you know, one moment of of leverage that we have, um, at least in front of us in in the near term. Um, Lastly, just in terms of ongoing community facing um, engagement around the reparations, um, (laughs) just today I was with the, the high school students at Lowell um, who wanted to learn about reparations and bring their voice, a good group of young people. Um, And then I think January, I'm scheduled to be with the the San Francisco League of Women Voters um, who want to, again, continue to support our outreach and advocacy. Um, That's all I had. Uh, Vice Chair Hollins has one item um, and then we will be done. Thank you, Chair. I just wanted to share with the committee that the California Black Freedom Fund and the National Center for the Preservation of Democracy at the Japanese American National Museum and along with Philanthropy California are going to be hosting an event on Tuesday, December 5th in Los Angeles. This is an event titled Shared Pathways to Heal, Repair, and Liberate. Um, They are going to have a gallery exploration of the museum Um, talking about the intersection of Japanese reparations and the work that's currently happening at state level. Um, I'll share this with you all uh, via email in case you're interested um, in attending in any part of it. Um, The only other uh, update that I have is, I didn't mention, um, a meeting with a presentation to the Chinese Progressives Association a few weeks back. Um, It was really nice to be in community with them, uh, mostly monolingual, Um, but to share with them our work and our priorities and just kind of clear up a lot of the miscommunication um, and rhetoric that's out there about reparations. So continuing to build the allyship and then um, continuing to engage in these broader conversations around the reparations work and how San Francisco is influencing it. Thank you. Uh, One last thing. Some of what is also being fundraised for at least conversations around funding again, against one of our our recommendations around standing up an external body. So a reparation stakeholder authority um, that could both stand in the in the kind of context or posture of accountability where the city is concerned, but also could fulfill some of the role that Director Davis referenced around continuing to raise resources to invest in the ongoing work. So more to come on that. With that, that concludes uh, my report. Let's go to public comment. Are there any members of the public attending in person who would like to comment on this item? Tim McDonald and Vice Chair Hollins and members of the committee. I thought it was really important that 
I come tonight and see your work. And I want to also apologize for not um, coming to a meeting earlier in the year. Um, the work that you all done is an enormous contribution to this country, to this city, and it needs to continue. I love the idea of the uh, authority to continue the work. We're really talking about the need to rebuild public institutions, to rebuild how we take care of not just the black black community, but obviously this is a, a focus on the black community, but actually how we ensure that the existing institutions that we have that deny access to black people can be approved so that black people can access those as well. So it's yes and that we're trying to do uh, as a city. Um, I think there hasn't, it's really great to hear there's an apology that's gonna be drafted. Um, I think the apology and the acknowledgement of the harm that's been caused over the centuries uh, in this nation and over the century and decades in this city is so important. The acknowledgement has to come with action. It's truth and reconciliation that's needed. And anything less than that it mean, ensure, means that we have to continue and the authority is a good body for that to happen. I wanna be an ally in that process. I'm with the Council of Community Housing Organizations. We want to be an ally in that process as well. We want to hear what ideas we can bring forward to help you think through many of these things. Uh, and I'm committed to making that happen. Uh, and once again, thank you again for this tremendous contribution. Thank you. Thank you so much. Are there any members of the public? Oh, we do have members of the public online who would like to comment on this item. Ace Washington. Okay, his hand is keeps disappearing and reappearing. Um, let's go to Angela A. No, I'm sorry, that was a mistake. Okay, thank you. Um, CC Horton. Yeah, again, to the committee, I, I make sure that I remind you guys that we've been through this before in history. You know, uh, the Civil War bought civil rights. It wasn't something that fell out of the sky. And uh, we've seen our people fought, die to improve this country, only to be put at the back of the bus over and over again. I think in a race-neutral California where race neutrality is the law, guys are taking it very lightly. It's Prop 209 thing. It's all going to come back and burn you. You're going to get sued. If you don't, cross your I's and dot your T's. Trust me, people who are watching this meeting are not just people in this room. The adversaries are lurking. And I think we're taking it very kindly that we're living in an era of modern-day Jim Crow. And the thing is, we can't keep putting ourselves in the position, and I, and I get that this is about San Francisco, but this issue is bigger than San Francisco. You look at the 2 million Black Americans in California, one of the largest concentrations of Black Americans in the United States. And just alone, 
if we were to able to to harness the wealth of the two million black folks in this state, we're producing a half a million dollars, a half a billion dollars every year. That's enough to fund those seniors ten times over with our own money. Did you just but you best believe whatever is given to you today will be taken away tomorrow. That is our legacy in this country, and I and I think this committee has taken that with a grain of salt. You guys are just floating around like it's, you know, this list of demands is just going to be granted and it's going to be all over. Our kids are going to pay for it. And that's what's going on now. We're paying for what happened uh, 40, 50 years ago because somebody didn't cross the I's and dot the T's. Better wake up. We got to do something for ourselves. In the midst of repairing ourselves, we need to do for ourselves. We can't be dependent on folks. Thank you. Your time has expired. Now I'd like to welcome Dennis. Um, thank you. Good evening. I'm going to speak brief, but as um, the founder of the newly formed uh, Fillmore Community Development Corporation, um, I commend the board and ask you guys to keep going, but the people on the grounds through our surveys and other uh, outreach are suffering, not only from the Bayview, but Lakeview, Sunnydale, and as you know, <clears throat> um, jobs is needed was to pull us out of this and not just minuscule jobs or, as uh, Director Barry said, um, stop sign holding apprenticeship jobs. We are more than just apprenticeships in the Black community. This, this item is related to Director Davis's report. No, well, I think it all goes hand in hand. Report. It's, it's okay. Chair's report. report. If you want to wait till the next item, which is general public comment, that'll be fine. Thank you. Um, Maddie Scott. Yes, um, I just want to um, say that to, to that everyone, this is really important for all of us. We know what we have been through. We know what they could never give us back what was taken from us in the 60s. If you go back and look at those films, what we lost in the film, or 800 businesses, you know, thousands of residents um, everywhere, businesses all on Fillmore, the Visadero Street, you know, they could never give us back what was taken. Miss um, um, Scott, um, this is related to the chair's report, but if you would like to comment on general public comment on items not on the agenda, which is our final agenda item, you're welcome to do that. We just are reserving this time for comments on the chair and vice chair's report. Okay, thank you very much. Are there any other members of the public attending in person or remotely who would like to comment on the chair's report? Ace, can you unmute yourself? Oh, am I unmuted? You're unmuted, Ace. Oh, see, I'm new to this thing here. So, um, see, these meetings go on so long, you don't know the subject. That, like, I'm hoping I'm talking on the subject. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, so, I feel, damn it, let me see here. The, the subject is the chair's report. If we can close this out and then go to general okay. comment okay. on okay. items. Okay. Okay. Close, close it out. Close it out. I ain't going to interrupt. Thank Just you. close thank it you, out. Thank you, Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Seeing no more public comment, this item is closed. Now we can go to the second to final item, uh, general public comment. Okay, I would like to welcome back Maddie Scott. Thank you. 
Let me unmute. Sorry, I was muted. I just wanted to say um, this has not been an easy task and it will not be an easy task, but I want to commend all everybody that's on this, this um, reparations committee and definitely comment, as Reverend Brown said, about the SBU, S, uh, HBCUs, which is very important. We need that more than anything, um, the education and the housing piece and definitely the mental illness. Um, and we know that gun violence is the number one cause, the leading cause of death of children in this country. Um, it was, It is still the leading cause of death of young African-American men in this nation. And so that is one of the major health disparities that we definitely need to pay attention to because we're losing a generation of, 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 of our men. Um, I'm grateful and thankful for all of you for the hard work and the time that you put in. The report that uh, Dr. Davis gave was eloquent and to the point, and I'm glad the sister brought it up about the mental health because that is the number one problem that's in our community right now. It's ment mental illness, homelessness, and gun violence. Um, the other thing is the seniors. Seniors now are now uh, situated legally six, 62 uh, years old, but now also 55, the age of 55 and up is, is considered seniors. So we need we really need to look at that because 70 years old, uh, the age of 70, we know a lot of our seniors, you know, many of us don't make it to that age because of health disparities and environmental factors. Um, so um, we really need to look at that area, but I just want to commend everybody for your hard work and um, everything that you're doing. And just to say that we are doing it in Freedom West, um, but our development going on is black, black, black everything. Okay, so just be mindful of that. Your comments, your two minutes has expired. Now I'd like to welcome back Ace Washington. Okay, uh, you excuse me. I keep running upstairs to my granddaughter to fix this because I don't know too much about it. But I have a lot to say. But one thing I really want to say is I still want to meet with all the department heads to find out what's happening. I commend the uh, African American Reparations Committee, particularly the ones out of the Fillmore, and all of y'all. Y'all doing a great job. But I want to make this last suggestion to the whole committee. I talked to Fred Blackwell's secretary today that that, that put the out migration together. As I said before, a lot of y'all information came from the out migration. I think, and I recommend that when the sunset is over, we organize a big meeting with the out migration people that's left. Some of them have died, and with your younger committee, and go over some of the things so we can keep this ball going. Because, like some people say, if you let it sunset and let it die, the city's going to just put it on the shelf. And if we don't elect this next mayor, which is London Breed, Queen B, we're we through. The black community is through. Everything y'all put together, everything that our migration did will be through. So we have to fight for this. You guys are the younger generation up, and we got to get that old generation back, the out-migration. And you got to team up together and show them that 
it is what we in particular everybody see everybody talking about the Fillmore. Yeah, that's where all the damage mostly done in the Fillmore. You got the Jim Jared, Jim Jim Jones thing happened. That was a conspiracy of the government. And now it's a government building there. It's the mail. So we got a lot of shit that should excuse me. I'm a little excited. We got a lot of stuff that we have to get together and continue on. My name is Ace, damn it. And I'm on the case. All right, that's all I got to say. Thank you. Now I'd like to welcome Dennis. Okay, finally, public comment. Thank you. We can speak freely. I'm just saying my Black people on the ground level are suffering. Um, If any of our new developments are not fair cloth to rag conversions, we will never be able to afford the AMI which is area medium income. We need to make sure our new developments are deeply affordable. That is just a gem for me being a black real estate developer to my people. Section three of HUD states that black residents that have businesses are supposed to receive preference and priority, and it hasn't been happening. Secondly, and that's where the buildings, um, the residents of the buildings that are of the project, if there are none in that building, then they must go citywide and look for black businesses. Another thing that is not happening, they're skipping the just city build, which is a government backed um, thing. And we alleged that to get kickbacks. And then they go to uh, black organizations that are outside of the city who agree with the sellout of our black people. Um, the management companies such as John Stewart are monopolizing our black buildings and are, vac- and are moving non-blacks into our vacancies citywide. That needs to be stopped and addressed. Um, when you guys sit up here on the board and said the MOHCD and others are doing a great job and didn't hype, cite the discrepancies is very egregious conduct, um, to say the least. Um, jobs and lucrative city contracts is needed. Related housing is destroying the Bayview and our Black communities and need to be held accountable. Where is David Chu, who is holding and suing for the Chinese residents, but is not being held accountable to sue for our Black residents? especially over at Alice Griffin that is built on contaminated uh, ground. That's the research that we and our team have done. And um, our people are suffering from cancer-like uh, elements and others. And uh, I just want to speak on the least, uh, lastly, the Bayview lawsuit that was just settled for a smallest amount of money after being uh, supposedly up to uh, $23 billion was, a, I guess, settled for $5 million. Oh. Horrible. You, three your now. two minutes has expired. Now I'd like to welcome Galaxy S21 5G guest. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. I want to I want to apologize to the to the board for being out of order earlier. Uh I'm trying to figure out how do you sign up. For the res- respiration, I, I reparation. I grew up. I grew up in San Francisco, and I live in the Bayview. And I don't know where you sign up, even though I get the emails. Uh, does that mean I'm signed up? Now, just a question I have for the board. Any, any anyone that that can answer that for me? Um, follow up with the human. We'll rights follow. Commission. We'll follow up. Thank you. All right, thank you very much. CC Horton. Yeah, I want to give the committee also uh, 
if you guys can take some notes real quick on a very important U.S. Supreme Court case, J.A. Croson versus City of Richmond. I heard the Director Shaw speak earlier about race neutrality. I heard Director Davis speak about race neutrality. Well, in Jay Crossman versus City of Richmond, it was one of the last cases that Thurgood Marshall ruled on. And that case is very important because what it says is that disparity is illegal in the United States. And Black Americans have led disparity in California the last 30, 40 years. Go read the Caltrans report. Go read any disparity sport done by the state. Why the city of San Francisco hadn't done one, I don't know. But to, a, a, to, to get beyond this race issue is very simple. And Supreme Court precedent exists that is on our side. J.A. Crossman versus City of Richmond. That case says, period. If disparity exists, it is a mandatory duty that it be addressed. And for Black Americans to lead disparity in California for 40 years, Prop 209 means nothing when you're leading disparity. And I haven't heard anyone mention that on this panel, which is a bit, it's a bit shocking. Because if we have Supreme Court precedent on our side, why is nobody bringing this to the table? Why is this guy, Mr. Director Shaw, talking about, well, we can, they talk about people of color, minorities. When Black Americans, not, not illegal aliens, not undocumented immigrants, you have a sanctuary city for people who are not even residents. And they don't lead disparity studies. They don't have disparity sports to even support a sanctuary city. But Black Americans are leading disparity in the state of California for the last 30 years. This is a fact. It's not some uh, uh, opinion. Caltrans does a report every five years. And the last one they done, Black folks are, we're, we're, we're behind folks who don't even speak the language when it comes to public procurement thank you, thank and getting you access. Your comments, your two minutes has expired. Now I'd like to welcome Yasmin. And I'm sorry if I mispronounce your name. Oh, I cannot read your last name anymore. Yasmin. Good, good evening. My name is Yasmin Abdusami Oakley. And I've been following the reparations task force here in San Francisco for a while now. And I really don't understand why um, you're, I don't understand your eligibility process. I don't understand why you use the language that you use because you need to use language that is specific to descendant um, Black Americans who are descendants of emancipated Americans. Um, you're using the term Black. It is very vague. Anybody is Black nowadays. A person from South America can identify as Black. A person who is a continental African can identify as Black. These um, harms have been specifically done to descendants of emancipated Americans who were once enslaved in this country. And the language that you're using, um, the, the previous callers are right. Uh, people of color, minorities will be eligible for these um, benefits. Um, all of the wonderful recommendations that you are making is going um, to your the, the housing that you want to create. It's not going to be no descendants living in that housing. It's going to be people of color and minority. And I really don't like it. It sets a bad precedent. Um, Dr. Um, Reverend Brown was on the state 
um, uh, reparations task force. I don't understand why you are not using the language that was cultivated in the task force that is specifically for descendants of emancipated persons. We are the ones who are the most homeless. We are our children are the most unread and um, are, are the lowest scores in math that are descendant Americans. We are the most unemployed. Um, and the language that you're using talking about black folks and black people and black 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 is going to um have our reparations now i'd like to welcome kamji ensley um hello can i be heard yes thank you okay thank you um I first want to start off by thanking um, this reparations task force for the absolute wonderful job um, you have been doing and for keeping and structuring the language. I love the questions that you asked of all the presenters tonight. I love that um, you are keeping it um, exactly where the needle needs to be. Um, I'm not sure if it was Mr. Shaw, whoever did the presentation about housing, the two gentlemen at the beginning, um, I heard his response. And what I need is I need for people to be as sophisticated as they were when they redlined us and stripped us of all of our homes and the equity that we could have had. Um, I need them to be that sophisticated when they figure out a way to correct the harms that have been done to us. Okay. I need them to think and I need them. I, I, I don't need people to say, hey, that's the laws of HUD. And that's just the way it is when I know that HUD was created to help Black Americans across the country. And all those programs were created to help us because we were disenfranchised and then they got people of colored and minority off. And so I love that this reparations um, task force is staying at task, asking the right questions um, of these city, um, of these city leaders who are in these um, particular um, positions. And I want to say this, we get around race by understanding that Black American is also an ethnicity of people. We are an ethnicity of people. We need to leave that race stuff alone and we need to just concentrate that we've had many name changes, African American, Black American, Negro, all of those are a classification, but we are a unique ethnic group of people that come from descendants of chattel slavery and free people of color. We have been free. Uh, now I'd like to welcome Angela A. Hello again. Thank you. Let's see if I can go quickly here. All right. I have a few things to say. According to my DNA testing, my bloodline in this country runs deep 10 generations, generations back since 1720. I'm a descendant of chattel slavery from both my parents' side. And there used to be the requirement option of chattel slavery listed, as well as chattel slavery being listed as a harm. That has now been removed from the harm section. And even though I've lived here for 35 years and am a descendant of a slave, because it's been removed, 
I would not qualify for reparations. And I'm sure that there are many other people who would not qualify as well. So I don't know why that has been removed. Is that a typo or has the committee, um, have they voted on that? And that also would bring me to the to the question of why you would even in, bring up the discussion of, of chattel slavery to make your case if people who have that in their lineage would not qualify. So that's one thing. Um, I also want to request that if you are going to move in having to show proof of slavery, if you would consider also, for example, DNA testing. I grew up in a foster care, so I don't know my family's history, but DNA testing would definitely prove that point. And about, about the population decline, I brought this up in the past meeting. I think the harm comes from the fact that we have lost political power. Anyone who's been a registered voter in San Francisco, San Francisco for several years, we've lost power. Therefore, we've been harmed. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Now I'd like to welcome Stick Broadnax. Can you hear me? Yes, thank you. I have a problem here for me. Thank you all very, very much. Reparation Committee, everybody that has been involved and that is still involved. Here in San Francisco, I know I'm an elderly disabled person. And it's very, very hard. HUD, everybody's talking about HUD does this and HUD does that. HUD is what, don't get me wrong, I can make it without HUD right now. But HUD are one of the biggest racketeers in the world here to me. It's the federal government. You know who the federal government is? It's the United States of America. Those people up there making the decisions, and hey, look, they're not getting anything done for us. They know what we're going through because they are taking us through this. They don't want to give reparations to no black people. Now, now if I was another race, yes. They gave the Indians, they gave all the Chinese, Japanese, all of them, except us. They do not, they really do not respect black Americans or Negroes or whatever you want to call it in this country. We have the slave mentality that they want us to keep from now on, from this generation on up. They still want to keep their foot on your neck. This country will it's a great country, they say. Yeah, for the whites and everybody else, but it's not great for us because we built it. We are the only people that cannot get what we need in this country. You ever notice when anybody get ready? Your comments, your two minutes has expired. Um, now I'd like to welcome Ayat Jalal. Yes, can I be heard? Yes, thank you. Blessings to all. I say to the ancestors of all present. Um, I like to first off say um there is a lot of separation. We've been separated and labeled for so long. Um, and point of clarity, I'm under the impression I would hope that reparations um from this individual city was for the people who 
whose families were in this city at a particular time. A lot of us has moved. Um, also, I'd like to say to my people, to my people, man, we need to understand as far as repariations, um, this is a way of corralling our minds. And once again, it seems like the end result is us paying rent, um, joining into an economy of man, white man-made um, dollars. And that's not being um, racist. It's just that money has replaced our worth to one another. And um, most major um, civilizations that we built um, on knowledge and science um, had no currency, um, not in this mode. Um, and we just need to stop being corralled, you know? Um, I don't want a job. You know, I want a destiny to build our nation, you know, how we want. Um, not to replicate this or be given money to be allowed to take part. Um, that's foolish. That's um, the result of um, slave master giving us education. And um, I'll keep it at that. Lessons. Thank you for your comments. Are there any other members of the public who would like to participate in general public comment? Okay, seeing none, general public comment is closed. Thank you very much. As we move to our final item, one quick announcement that I overlooked a little earlier. Uh, it's an FYI on um, October 17th. Um, the Board of Supervisors voted to end remote public testimony at all Board of Supervisors meetings, their committees, and public advisory bodies, including this body. The only exception is accommodating disabilities. Um, Secretary Moki Meyer will provide um, information um, for folks to um, share your opinion on this legislation by contacting members of the Board of Supervisors or the mayor's office. Thank you. With that, uh, item number seven um, is adjournment. Want a reminder, our next meeting. Uh, is November 13th. I want to encourage, I know things can be challenging at times, but I want to encourage November 13th. Sorry. That's correct. December. Wait. Today is November oh, 13th. Sorry. sorry. That's what's in my notes. I'm no, sorry. No, I told you. Like, I, I, I am reading my notes. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> December 11th. Sorry about that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You're like, what? What? What are you talking about? Uh, it's late. Um, December 11th. Um, and again, I, and I know we, we have two meetings remaining. I really want to encourage um, to the extent possible in person attendance. Again, I understand life happens. Um, but if at all possible, please attend in person. I would entertain a motion to adjourn. Chairman, I would like to invite us to adjourn in memory of one of our late citizens, Aganafa Asifra, who owned the Sowers and the Sheba Lounge there on Fillmore. He passed on Saturday. Thank you very much. We will adjourn in his honors. There's a second. I'd like to also adjourn in honor of Patty McDaniel. On this day in 1940, she was the first Black person to win an Oscar. Thank you. Is there a second? A second. Excellent. All in favor? <laughs> Have a good evening, everyone. Thanks, everyone online for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.